general nerdery. I used a Ted Lassoism in the wild unironically the other day. Oh, no. What did you say? Um, I got... As soon as I said it, I was like, I have to remember. It might have just been good eye, small fry. <laughs> uh, but I, I said it, and I did the Ted Lasso voice without even thinking about it. And I was like, what if I become <laughs> a better person? A better person. <laughs> Honestly, if I'm going to mimic anyone from the various TV shows I watch. Ted's a Ted, good one. Ted's a good one. The coach beard. <laughs> we will talk about a lot today. Yes, we will. Uh, welcome to General Nerdery. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And this is your podcast about liking things. Like Ted Lasso. Basically just things we like. Yeah. Because <laughs> it tends to all be nerdy in some way. And if not, we nerd out on it. Oh, yeah, inevitably. Um, On that note, what have you been ingesting this week? What like have two I weeks? been? Two weeks. Uh, I did finish Dune Messiah. Oh, yeah. I really dug it. Yeah, it's good. I don't like it's good. I don't get why people don't like that one. I don't understand why it's not just published as a third chapter to Dune. Yeah, it's like Dune Expanded Edition. And it's also, hmm. I feel like if you read Dune, you should read Messiah just in case you missed the fact that the jihad isn't a good thing. Yeah, that Paul should not <laughs> necessarily be considered a hero. Um, Especially when you get to that bit about two-thirds of the way through where he actually breaks down like, oh yeah, no, in the past 12 years, 91, like 90 billion people have been killed. We've wiped out like 50 religions. Like, God, I haven't read that book in several years. I forgot about that scene. But yeah, there's... Dune's not a happy book. Dune is... Game of Thrones, but still interesting. Like, it's with the, you know, everyone dies and there's far too many families involved. And Aaliyah is terrifying. Holy fuck, she is scary. And she scarier in the third one. Hate is great. <laughs> uh, I don't remember if it's all the way through God Emperor was originally all one book before he was like, no. <laughs> no, absolutely Never mind. Not. But I do know that was like his original story mm. was up through God Emperor and he just, as it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and longer. It's weird how, like, how much bigger it makes that already big universe when suddenly, like, there's a lot of things that don't get brought up to Messiah where you're like, why weren't this why wasn't this being talked about all the time? Well, like the Benetalaxlu and because they're so cool. Yeah. Uh, either because Herbert hadn't come up with them yet, or there just wasn't room. Mm -hmm. And Dune takes place on Dune. Like pretty much you get little bits on Getty Prime and Caladan, but it is like 95% on Dune. Yeah, Messiah is barely on Dune. Much more expanded universe. Um, no, I, I really, really dug it. I really like it. I, It's one of my favorites of them. What else? I also finished uh, Mass Effect 3. Oh, good. I might have spent most of that night a bit, a bit blurry-eyed, like uh, silently weeping on my recliner as I said goodbye to my crew before facing off the Reapers for the last time. Yeah, maybe just Your a little bit of tears. With how easily you cry... <laughs> Is like at media Look, is something I am legit jealous of. I am in no way making fun of you. I um, I think anyone who's went all the way through that trilogy kind of understands. Though I think they have at least more. I think they have at least one crew member where they're like, I didn't. I would die for you, computer <laughs> ghost. I mean, look, we both know someone who has a Garrus tattoo. Yeah, we both know the same person. But yeah, I'm sure we know more than one. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's someone. Yeah. 
Um, there's so much I could say about that series just in general now that I've finished it. I actually, I immediately started thinking of a second playthrough, and so I uninstalled the entire <laughs> trilogy. <laughs> like, I'm just not risking it. I'm just... I, uh, I did do not need to sink that much time. I mean, I don't actually have any games that I really want to play until uh, Midnight Suns comes out. But I kind of want to use that game playing time that I was using beforehand to like maybe catch up on TV and shit now that I'm over fucking Mass Effect. Yeah, we can do some of the stuff that you keep meaning to do. Yeah, like get around to some of the movies I mean to watch and rebuild the websites. <laughs> yeah, fucking all sorts of shit that I could be doing instead of going through Mass Effect again. So it's uninstalled for now. For now. There probably will be another playthrough because there's things oh, I want to see. Um, Those games are supposed to be hella expansive, so... They're really big. I will say, now that I've went through them all, 2 is probably the height of the series overall. It, get, it has the best balance of, like, the action and the RPG elements. I wouldn't have wanted to see the story of 3 portrayed through the style of 2, though. So number three it's its own game? Yeah, number 3 is way more of an action game than it is an RPG, and even like the levels are designed in ways where like it's kind of forcing you forward. And there's a lot of times where once you get to a certain point, you just can't turn back and do other things. Mm -hmm. But it kind of fits the fact that like Earth just got attacked and things, things are, are really down. fucking dire and you have to do this in a very short amount of time. So, yeah. OK, I get it. Also, I mean, while I'm bringing it up, though, but without going, like, too deep into all the different game, I just kind of want to thank Mass Effect 3 for, like, representation and helping me be seen, because Mass Effect 3 suddenly gets really brown, and it's awesome. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I do feel like, uh, compared to some of the other races, I feel like uh, science fiction ends up with a lot more... Uh, Latinx coded characters than some of the others end up like I, I think there's more of us than like Asians in science fiction for instance depending on the story on the more military uh, centered ones yes on that one for sure on the more, more militaristic centered ones there's always like that space marine that's and if we leave out anime there is mm -hmm. but like I didn't know that when I got to Mass Effect 3 that once I was on the Citadel the like the hospital was the Huerta Memorial Hospital. And suddenly your two new crew members in three are James Vega and I can't remember his first name, something Cortez. And they're both romance options. And <laughs> uh, one of them's only like only a gay romance option, but they're also both bros and like, aren't like hung up on the fact that one's straight and one's gay. Awesome. Awesome. That actually makes me really happy. <laughs> Like, they're super bros. Every time you head down there, like, they're always fucking chatting. And, like, there's a... In the DLC, they come over and catch, like, a fucking football game with you and shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> Perfect. Like, so it was super cool. I was like, oh... And, like, Vegas speaks a little Spanglish th throughout it stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, way to go. Hell yeah, bud. Let's see. What if we... Uh... Oh, I also have one other oh, thing. because um I marathon through all of the new season of The Witcher. That came out two days ago. Uh, Friday. That came out three days ago. And it's only eight episodes. Okay, I, I understand. And I watched most of them Friday night after work. Um, that doesn't surprise me at all. I fucking super dug it. 
It looks to me like most people are super digging it. I've heard really good things. I don't know a lot of people that have watched it yet, but I've seen a lot of like, The Witcher! Three exclamation points. Yeah! On Facebook. I was, <laughs> I was chuckling a little bit to myself this morning at reading a few threads of there is a... Uh, small minority of the book readers that really, really, really do not like this season. I do hear that it goes heavily in its own direction. I, my biggest critique of this is of the entire series so far, uh, both both seasons, mm -hmm. is that at like every major intersection, it's kind of like they're rolling a dice to see whether they're going to first stick to the books or go their own direction. And then after they're rolling the dice to figure out that answer, they're then flipping a coin to see if whether they're going to include a reference to the games or not. There doesn't seem to be a real set way in the way they're doing it. I guess it's got to be interesting. Usually when you're the like third version of a story, mm -hmm. one of the three hasn't been good. So you can kind of just ignore that, but like all so far, three both. have been good. Yeah. And all three have been a little unique to themselves. So there's like, all right, the game did this, the show did this, or we could do this. And like, I don't know, good work. Because like, I would say that this season feels more like the games than the first season did. And I'm told the first season feels a lot like the books. But like episode three, a major character from, well, not major, but mm -hmm. a recurring character from the games dies. Oh, dang. And then, but then from like episode four, four and a half on, they're not necessarily doing anything from either the book or the game, but using kind of a few elements from both. We've but got the, the story, <laughs> the story still makes sense though for The Witcher and how like the stories play out. In that they tend to be corruptions of folklore. And like, what happens if we take this character and put him in this fairy tale? I don't mind adaptations that go their own route as long as they are earnest in their own routes. And, like, mm -hmm. you know, not completely like uh, I hear I've heard such wild reviews of Cowboy Bebop. Still haven't yeah, seen it. You see, um, yeah, me either yet. Or, oh, oh, The Watch, I did watch. Like, mm. when it when it was stuck halfway of, like, do I want to be, like, super close to the books or do I want to go my own way? It was not that great. But when they were like, no, nope, okay, we're just forging ahead and hoping it'll turn out, that show got actually pretty good by the end of its season. But remained a terrible adaptation. So, like, you can change stuff. A shot for shot doesn't really work. Right. Because that's just boring. And that's the thing, like, I was really laughing at everybody who was like, why didn't they just, they had so much references to Blood of Elves, why didn't they just do Blood of Elves one for one? And I'm like, because that is a terrible idea if you want this series to survive, because if you do Blood of Elves one for one, this might be a touch of hyperbole, but I don't think I'm too far off in saying it would be seven totally disconnected Monster of the Week episodes and then three episodes that actually had to do with the plot, but still had enough action going on that total you only had plot going for 20% of the time of the entire series. Oh, that was sound very exciting. So, no. That's also not the way to do it. That being said, I get a few of the criticisms. They kind of did Vesemir a little bit dirty. But, mm, I see people complaining about Yen 
I I don't know. Uh, maybe a little bit her too, but I feel Vesemir probably got the the worst bit of this season. And even then, I'm still don't hate it. Like it's mm-hmm. fine, just not. It's just the book version was better. <sighs> he does make a couple decisions in this that the book and the game version would have been loath to do. Oh, fair enough. But I like the actor. Kim Bodney is great. So, Well, in a world where three Spider-Men appeared in one movie last weekend, uh, <laughs> we've gotten pretty good at accepting the concept of variations. So, Yeah, and I, like I said, I think the it seems like the majority of the reviews I've seen have been overwhelmingly positive. Good. I just, uh, I was chuckling at the negatives I was seeing because I'm like, this doesn't make for a good story. No, just go back and read the book. It's fine. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> we did watch the trailer for uh, uh, Witcher Michelle Yeoh piece. Yeah, Witcher Blood uh, Origin. Thank you. Didn't make it into our news because literally all we know is Michelle Yeoh and the Witcher is there. Yeah, Which is enough. Don't get me wrong. It's pretty. Looks like there's going to be some fights. All we know about this series is that it's about them making the first Witcher, which I don't think that story has been expanded upon in the books or the games. So it should be a relatively standalone story, hopefully? For the most part. Perfect. Okay, that might be my intro to The Witcher, because, as you mentioned, I really love Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the basics, we know that monsters were getting to be a bit too much after the conjunction of the spheres, because uh, the background for The Witcher universe is actually super sci-fi, and basically the multiverse collapsed on itself for a moment, and that's where all the monsters came from. Oh, dark. That's actually super interesting. <laughs> it's so much better than... It's... And as I, I say this as someone who lo- fucking loves fantasy, it's elves. Don't think about it sometimes. No, so it's... Elves were here in the continent first. Okay. Men came from a different sphere. Okay but so did all the monsters. Almost all the monsters have been, there are some of the monsters that can breed and like, that's how they've been around. Mm-hmm. Some of the monsters have just been around for 300 years since the, or longer, I think since the conjunction. Oh, so they're going to be old and cranky at that point. Yeah. And things got so bad and things were so dire for all the races because of all the monsters that they got together and created a, uh, Basically, magically modified super soldiers, and that's the Witchers. Okay. Interesting. And that's all I got for you. Uh, let's see, what have I done? Um, oh, I finally finished Briscoe County Jr. Sweet. I have been watching it. CC and I have been watching it slowly, a couple episodes at a time, ever since our Briscoe episode. Closer to the beginning of this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Who knows time anymore? CC, I think, described it best as, like, this is legitimately one of the only shows I've ever seen where I... It never goes the way I would expect it to. Like, the second half of the series is significantly worse than the first half, but it's still, like, good and fun. Okay. It's just, if, if you remember from our episode a while back, uh, uh, John Bly is being kind of set up as the bad guy, and he is mysterious David Bowie evil cowboy. Turns out the time travel is involved with the orb and weird sci-fi elements. And those all sort of disappear. Okay. Like that storyline gets wrapped up, but in a way that I was like, Oh, well clearly there was plans to bring Bly back in season two somewhere. Like no way was that done, Mm -hmm. but without that background of what Bly's up to and without the orb and that weirdness, the series lost. It's kind of like 
darker touches and went a little more into the slapstick. And what made, I think, the first half so good was that balance between the slapstick and the... Like the real... The, yeah, random, real, dark. And not even real, but like... There's stakes. Random, what the hell is happening mm-hmm. going on? But I mean, it's Briscoe County Jr. and Lord Bowler. Like, I will watch anything with those two. So yeah. that was really good. Forever in love with Dixie. Uh, I'm so in love with Dixie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Lord Bowler and Briscoe need to just get married and admit it, but in like a polycule with Dixie. <laughs> and I argue that Socrates Pool should be in there too, but CeCe disagrees with me on that one. Um, okay, okay. But that entire cast is so in love with each other in really weird ways, or at least the characters. And then my big one, um, I saw Reggie Watson concert last Friday, which was the... I was going to tell you to bring that up if you didn't, oh, yeah. because it was it's definitely an ingesting. It's just usually it's in front of our TVs that yeah, we're it's doing the, it. Well, it's the first live show I've been to in probably two and a half years, mm-hmm. three years maybe, because it had been a while since I'd gone to something. It's like, man, I need to do that soon, and then COVID hit. Um, I, Cece had seen Reggie Watts before, and she bought us tickets and told us we were going, and I was like, hell yeah. But I didn't know... I knew vaguely who he was. I had never heard any of his stuff. I'd never seen anything that he was on. Mm-hmm. Or if I had, I hadn't in a way that I, like, connected. Oh, that's Reggie Watts. That's who I'm going to go see. And I kind of chose to keep it that way so I could just go in and be like, all right, hit me with whatever you got, my guy. Had you ever seen him any of the times he had come into our uh, place of work? No, because I don't interact with customers. I know you have a story about that, but I mean, I do, but <laughs> uh, no, it's just real funny. I actually like, I'm not a big Reggie Watts fan. I mm-hmm. do know who he is. I'd listened to a few things here or there, uh, had got introduced to him back when I was working at Kmart from a, a friend that worked there. But the cool thing is, is he sometimes shop where we work when he's in town. Well, cause he's from great falls. He's like, a yeah, he's I mean, local hundreds of Ish. miles away, but it's, for here, Same it's state. local. Yeah. <laughs> For here, it's local. Um, so he does he does shop where we work. And uh, so one time, this was uh, probably about six years ago now, to be honest. Maybe oh, geez, a little I bit more. It was that long ago. Like, I'm sitting there stocking some groceries, and I see him come in. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm not going to go. Watts, yeah. Like, look, it's Reggie. I know who that is. That's, that's awesome. And he's and he's there with some of, like, his posse or whatever, his boys, his entourage. And, like, I, I get a good enough look at him that I can tell he's fucking stoned as a motherfucker. Oh, yeah, it's Reggie Watts. He's fucking just... He sang a song about robo-tripping in the 80s of that, which was the best part, but... Yeah, so he's just ripped. I'm like, yeah, way to go, man. And I'm sitting there going... And he wanders over, and he ends up... He ends up about seven, eight foot behind me, just zoned out, looking at the iced teas and <laughs> like kombuchas and sodas and shit in our cooler, trying to decide what to drink for probably about seven to 10 minutes. <laughs> but the entire time he's sitting there looking, trying to decide, he was beatboxing to himself the entire time. Oh, that's great. And I was seven foot away. And suddenly started stalking the slowest I had in my entire life <laughs> and basically got a little mini private concert from Reggie Watts. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, for those of you who might not know, he was on what? The regular show was his, not the regular. Uh, 
Mr. Show. I don't. I should have looked that up before, but he is a comedian and musician. I do know he did random voices for Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. Oh yeah, which is wild. <laughs> but, uh, he is mostly a comedian, and but he's also a musician. He's the head of the band for James Corden's Night Show. Oh yeah, he was a uh, comedy bang bang. Comedy bang bang. That's what late it show, is. late late show with James Corden. And he is a beatboxer, a music performer, like one man band kind of stuff and comedian. And he mostly does like improv off the cuff surrealist stuff. So like he told a story about in the eighties, like the only weed you can get here being super brown and having being like 90% seeds, but you're like, ah, that's fine. It's what you got. And robo tripping, which is drinking half a bottle to a bottle of, Robitussin, if you can't get real drugs. <laughs> I did it in college. I'm not proud of it, but I also like it's a thing that happens. And then he went in on to perform a song about robo uh, tripping that was perhaps the most accurate representation of robo tripping I have ever experienced in my life. Cece was laughing, being like, what the fuck? And I'm like, no, no, he's <laughs> he's spot on here. He's got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's trust me. Uh, I wish, God, I wish I knew, remembered the name of the comedian that opened for him. I know his name was Chris. So if you look up Reggie Watts and see who he's, not you necessarily right now, but like listener, uh, if you see who he's introing with, that guy was very funny. They both made multiple anti-vax jokes or like jokes at the expense of anti-vaxxers. Mm. And we're pretty sure the people got up and left behind us because of that. <laughs> we know they left. And Not necessarily was, sure yeah, why, but... I can't guarantee it was about that, but... Seems so. like it was about that. CC argued very strongly that on that timeline. I hadn't been to the Wilma, which is one of our local theaters, since they revamped it a couple oh, of years back. yeah, like, what do you think? It's very nice. Right. It's a, it's a great show space now. Like, the Wilma is a old theater in Missoula. I think the oldest theater in there. It is yeah, like probably. the heart of downtown. The first building I think of when I say the words downtown. Mm -hmm. But the theaters in it, or the theater, or like single theater, was old and decrepit as fuck before they redid it. So I'm it's suddenly willing to go to shows at the Wilma again. Although the seats remain very small for my 250 pound six mm. one ass. I'm I'm trying to think if I've went. Oh no, I've went up in the new seats. Yeah, yeah, because because when I went and saw Deltron there. So yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Luckily, I'm with my wife, so she's like, it's okay. I'll just like lean on you when your like <laughs> shoulders are poking into the people beside you very strongly. But I I like how there's space down below and not chairs for when it comes to moshing, considering the amount of metal shows I would go to see there. Yeah, the the Wilma is like one of the only places to get reliable shows in Missoula. So, yeah, it's important to be a good location for shows. It sucked trying to mosh with those fucking chairs all the way down. Oh, man. And they destroyed the chairs, oh, too. Yeah, I've every been time a, I've seen. Uh, I don't know how the pressure was applied to some of the chairs that I have seen come <laughs> mangled out of there. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Okay. Those are my two big ones. Uh, I, I've got a, another thing I read, but that's a recommendation, so mm. we don't really have news today. No, we came unprepared, and it's like days before Christmas, and nobody's really announcing things anyway. We watched the trailer for The Northman. 
it looks wild. It is, looks fun. I trust Robert Eggers. This. Uh, yeah, he did. You said he did Lighthouse and The Witch. Yes. I hear The Witch. Even the people who didn't like it was like it was a very like well done atmospheric movie. Mm-hmm. And Yui, who will be joining us again soon on this show, is obsessed with the Lighthouse. Also, I gotta say, it is the most period accurate clothing I have ever seen on a Viking movie. I mean, makes sense coming from right. Makes sense coming from Robert Eggers. Um, He's kind of known for going above and beyond when it comes to some of that shit. The witch was shot with all natural lighting, so like the lighting you see in like that's what they have. And the lighthouse used super old school everything. Everything, yeah. So it's just he's it's from visionary director Robert whatever, Uh, and I'm like, oh, that's it. He's reached visionary point. Good for him. It looks good. Uh, I will say usually historically accurate clothing on shows like this looks boring as hell. Mm-hmm. This does not. And there are definitely parts where you're like, well, that's not at all accurate, but it's like the trippy Valhalla stuff. I was about to say some parts to... are kind of obviously more fantastical. We very clearly saw Valkyrie. Yeah. So <laughs> at one point they're wearing like fox fur face hats or something like that. So like, it's got its own. And he definitely grabbed that spear out of air and just winged oh, yeah. it back out the guy. No, right. It is, <laughs> it is more historically accurate than I generally see because it is not Ikea fur rugs that they cut a hole out of to give them like cool shoulder furs and a bunch of leather that would be super cold to wear up North at Ned Stark. <laughs> I like that look. But, like, ever since Game of Thrones, everyone's like, a bunch of leather and fur, yeah? Oh, so the only horn helmet seemed to be ceremonial. That was the most Marvel Thor-looking horned helmet I have ever seen. Like, that was, like, <laughs> classic Jack Kirby design right there. <laughs> um, Now, I'm super excited, but I'm in the bag for Robert Eggers at this point, because... I'm more interested than I was when I first heard there was a show called The Northman that people kept asking me if I'd seen the trailer for today. Willem Dafoe looks insane. Oh God, I love Willem Dafoe. He loves working for Robert Eggers. So, <laughs> yeah, it looks exciting. I agree. Yeah, there's like no other news. There's uh, Alex Ross is doing a Fantastic Four comic, which is only exciting because he hasn't done an interior comic book in years. He uh, painted Marvels and Kingdom Come, which are two very famous big Marvel mm-hmm. DC stories, and. Um, Jim Rugg, I believe, is doing Hulk Grand Design, which is continuing the trend they did with X-Men and Fantastic Four, which is the entire history of the character treated as, like, a single storyline. Okay. So it gets super condensed, and you get the entire history in, like, four small graphic novels. Like, oversized, but not very thick. Right, okay, okay. Um, Which are just super cool, because they tend to give them to... Independent creators, I mean, Ed Pesker did one, Tom Scioli did one. You're not getting Jim Lee making one mm-hmm. of these. But again, that's something more I'm excited about than, like, people have heard of. I mean, yeah, and neither of us have seen the new Spider-Man yet, so. It apparently did bonkers well. In, ev- like, money-wise and review-wise, it's been overwhelmingly good. I mean, I I know a couple people that have seen it that I heard nothing but good things yep. from. So every person has been like, "Hey, bro, have you watched about it?" I'm like, "No." And then they start talking about it. I'm like, "You know, 
I just said we ha- I haven't seen this yet, right? <laughs> like, That's about all I got. Yeah? Yep, cool. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the man himself. Led Tasso. So Ted Lasso season two. We went all went into this. Everyone was super excited because Ted Lasso season one was like the bomb for our soul. What just first off, did you like the second season? I did. I liked it a lot. Um, it threw some curveballs my way, but if I would have just been like keeping up with the news, I don't think I would have been thrown off by them. Because the curveballs are th- the Christmas episode and Beard After Hours. For the most part, yeah. And, and if I would have realized that they had been awarded two extra episodes that they kind of just had to slip in, it would have made a lot more sense instead of watching those and then finding that out afterwards. It was interesting following along with this and keeping up with the actual news stuff. Not just that, but it became, there was this huge swath in the first half of the season of like, Ted Lasso is ruined forever and done and bad now. Just, and I think it was like the flashback of everyone liked season one so much that the moment that like season two wasn't season one, because this was very willing to be its own, its own show this season in a lot of ways. It's weird. Like everyone loved season one so much that at first all the reviews of season two were super scathing. And I don't think it deserved it. Well, I think I think there is a large part of the viewing populace who doesn't realize that you have to reset up some of these things. Mm -hmm. Like I went into the second season knowing that the first episode was probably going to be kind of boring because you have to use that time to re-catch up on the characters. And it was still really good. And it's still fine. It's. I didn't think it was as good as anything from the first season. No, but it has one of the best jokes with Danny. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with Danny screaming, football is dead. Um, well, the, the reviews I kept seeing was like, oh, man, there's no, like, challenge to this. Everyone just gets along. I'm like, are you not seeing all of the cracks under the surface that are happening here? And I guess I get it. There is this question of Ted Lasso was all about optimism and treating people with respect and treating people with honesty and believing things will be okay. And can you do a show where everyone has accepted that worldview? Mm -hmm. And the answer is not really, but you can still, you don't have to abandon that worldview to tell the story still. Also, did you read the weird conspiracy theory that happened for about a week where everyone thought Roy Kent was a CGI creation? Yeah, it was fucking hilarious. I still don't know if that was a joke. I think it started as a joke that some people kind of bought into for a minute. And okay. then the fact that they bought into it for a minute led to a bunch of articles about, okay, <laughs> you know what? That explains it. Cause I kept being like, what? He's done interviews. And I think the people that actually bought into it was a very, like very, very few. Yeah. Like but three it just, people, but it was enough that the news was like, yes. Yeah. Where the joke had that little bit of traction with something for somebody else to be able to point to, to be able to create a headline. And you know what I mean? Oh, clickbait. It was just such a weird one, you know, that I'm going to clickbait with it. But I want to say that like 98% of the things involved with that knew it was a joke the entire time. I have to imagine. Yes. (laughs) So it is December 20th today when we were recording this, it'll be like, I don't know, 20, Seventh when it comes out, 20. No, it'll be next year when it comes out. Okay. At this point. 
So, yes, it'll be early 2022 when this comes out. Uh, they confirmed that they start recording the new season in February of 2022. So it is coming up soon. Mm-hmm. We can probably guess around summer for season three. Uh, but before we get there, how do we want to... Are we doing episode by episode again? I mean, I have, I have notes written down episode by episode. Um, yeah, let's just run us through that as we do and... Let's, uh, real quick, just to make sure we know who we're all talking about and reset this up again, mm-hmm. uh, and just to give people their their proper dues, because I think we love them so much oh, at this absolutely. point. absolutely. Everyone deserves it. Jason Sudeikis is Ted Lasso. Uh, Hannah Waddingham is Rebecca Walton. Or Walton. Her Walton. arms are out of this world. There's a couple times this season that I really have that. We have Jeremy Swift as Leslie Higgins. Uh, Phil Dunster as Jamie Tart, Brett Goldstein as Roy Kent, Brendan Hunt as Coach Beard, uh, and as co-creator of the show. Uh, or, and Roy yeah. Kent's one of the big ones, too. It's like Yeah, he's a producer and a writer on it as mm-hmm. well. Um, he auditioned for Roy after being a writer and falling in love with the character. Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's cheap. That's cheating. That's so good, though. Well, and I guess uh, it sounds like, I don't know, exactly his background but his family knew uh former footballers and so he kind of grew up around guys like roy so he was like oh i know, I know this how character. to do this yeah. yeah i know this guy like i i called him uncle whatever when i was growing That's up so you know, good. uh nick muhammad is nathan shelley who we will talk about uh juno temple is keely jones and Introducing this season as a major character, uh, Sarah Niles as Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. Mm-hmm. Did you have Obasanya in there? Uh, Toheeb Jumo as Sam Obasanya. Uh, we have Cola Bocchini back as Isaac McAdoo. Billy Harris as Colin Hughes. Stephen Manis as uh, Richard Montliat, the uh, the French kid. Okay. Uh, Mo Judy Lamour as Terry Zorro. 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 Uh, Cristo Fernandez as Danny Rojas. My sweet angel. Charlie Hiscock as Will Kitman, uh, who's the new... Uh, the new Nate. The new Nate. I didn't realize his last name is Kitman. That's they, hilarious. They only say it in the uh, credits somewhere. Uh, David Elsendorn as Jan Moss. <laughs> Jan, Jan was Moss great. was great. <laughs> uh, and Mohammed Hasim as uh, Mo Bumbercatch. Mm-hmm. Since Bumbercatch comes up a lot more, the the entire soccer team got a lot more screen time this year, and Obasanya got some great story. I'm surprised he was only considered recurring cast and not like main cast this season. Oh, and I guess, um, I mean, just because we we know and love them both so much, I'll also James Lance as Trent Krim, mm-hmm. uh, Annette Badland as May. She's so good, and. And Giles shows up for two episodes again, but only... Two episodes again, yeah. Anthony had Adam Colburn, Bronson Webb, and Kevin Gary as Baz, Jeremy, and Paul. The the football fans. Yes. Oh, my God. I can't believe I got an episode all about them and that I enjoyed it. Or not all about them, <laughs> not but all about. significantly about them. We Okay, okay for, I'm going to say we could have done this entire episode on Beard After Hours, and I would have been happy. And oh, probably God. had enough to say to fill up an entire episode. I but. watched it immediately after Reggie Watts. Like, I went home, and I'm like, okay, I'm a little wound up for bed. That's where I am, and that's super weird, so it's appropriate. But before that, episode one. Episode one, goodbye, Earl. Uh, we 
check back in on everybody. Yeah, and Danny accidentally kills a duck. <laughs> I had completely forgotten about that. I don't know how, but by the end of the season, that just wasn't on my mind. And so when I hit the, like, restart at the beginning, uh, I was like, oh, 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 yeah, that's right. Okay. He definitely Randy Johnson did a bit. Gotcha. Uh, also, the <laughs> scene opens, or the series opens with a close-up on Nate's eyes, which is important for later on. But we come back, we are partway through, we're like five episodes into the season, the, the football season. How how long is it? Eight. Fo- eight episodes? Well, no, they're, that was the ninth game, or... Eighth or ninth That game. was the eighth game because that was their eighth tie. Okay. Uh, and I was going to say And that. after, after fucking Ted didn't like ties, they, they can't s- get open the season with. Ted is frustrated because he wants the team to win. And like he, he cares about winning this season in a way he didn't last season. Uh, Beard is obviously frustrated because he's competitive as hell. Nate's still wanting to prove himself. And the team wants wins, but they just keep getting ties, which is almost worse than losing a lot because they're playing well. They're performing great every time, basically. They're just not finishing it off for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. They just can't quite get over the hump. Uh, It opens with Danny trying to get a goal. He gets a penalty kick. And thanks to a series of unfortunate events, the penalty kick hits a greyhound in front of it, killing the greyhound. And desperately traumatizing Danny. That was pretty good. The, the yips. I love. I love all the like. The yips is like some realistic kind of. Yeah, like, I've heard of that before. There, because because Danny's traumatized mm-hmm. by this, he can't. Uh, he can't play anymore. Which one? Watching Danny be bad was just satisfying because he's been nothing but amazing every time we've seen him. It like it gave. Danny Rojas a little more to play with. And the the joke that he has the nightmare about killing the dog again, and he wakes up, screams, screaming, football is dead. But he's got two, like, super hot women in <laughs> yeah. bed with him. They're like, God, even in the middle of his absolute mental breakdown, Danny still pulls. <laughs> is so on brand for him. Oh, and I love that, like, there's... There's not attention given to it. It's like nope. It just is happening. You're like okay. They're not way to go, not Danny. Even any like focus on it. There's no. <laughs> You're like, just like oh shit, Danny. <laughs> there's no pause on the boob camera motion that would have been a huge part of that if this happened in the '90s. No, the the yip. No, I hadn't heard of the yips, but playing the the other kind of football, the American football, mm-hmm. we had uh, footsteps. Every once in a while, receivers would start hearing footsteps, and that's if they gotten if they had gotten tackled really hard a couple times, and they, they might drop be footsteps. Well, it's like they imaginary hear the fucking footsteps coming <laughs> to hit them again and end up dropping the ball. Please stop tackling me! And they're like, "There's no one near you." I don't know if the yips is actually a thing I've heard of, but just this concept mm-hmm. of just losing your confidence, kind of. Yeah, you got to get back on that high horse. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do. I mean, I I haven't been able to get back on a unicycle since I fucking whacked my head coming off of one. So oh, like, I, I wanted to unicycle so bad and I was starting to learn. But with my fake teeth in the front, I have become super <coughs> paranoid about a bunch of things. Uh, there's a portion of the back of my head that hurts when I say the word unicycle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. I'm like this now. When I was a kid, I read a book while riding my bicycle down the busy street. 
no hands reading the book. Dad thought I was insane. I'm like, what are you talking about? I look back at it now being like, I should have died. Right. Shit. God, mortality. We, we get the introduction to Jan. We get Jan Maas, who is the new member. He is so Dutch, uh, which means that he says absolutely what he thinks. And it's it's not mean, but from anyone else, it would be mean. Have you encountered that before? The whole I the, haven't the weird cult the Dutch, da, the, the weird Dutch cultural thing. I'll, I've never interacted with this. I've heard other people talk about it. Basically, it's just kind of a, from what I understand and from what I've heard, mm-hmm. is it's a big cultural thing to basically not white lie. Yeah, it's just you tell the truth, which leads to Jan Moss being like, "You did very badly today." It also have fun. Like, apparently, like also, it can be really awkward if you're not used to that and you're dealing with Dutch businessmen. Oh, oh I can only imagine in business what that's like. <laughs> right? Like, we're very excited to use your product. You're like, this is shit. Yeah, pretty much. Right? <laughs> you need to fix this before I'll even. Uh, ooh, God, I like that though. Mm-hmm. Like in its own weird way. That's that's most of the stories I've heard is just like people recounting stories online of being like, yeah, so like that was weird. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but as a result of Danny getting the yips and forgetting how to play soccer, one, we get the very first like cutting remark of Nate where his response to how to fix this is we could always just show him his goddamn paycheck. And we're like, Nathan, this man is struggling. And then they hire Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, a sports psychologist, which I didn't really realize was a thing, but makes sense that it's mm-hmm. a thing. You know, the way my brain puts it, it's the sports equivalent of Diana Troy space therapist. But really, it's just a therapist with specialization, mm-hmm. which they need. Oh, yeah. I just for whatever reason, I had never really thought about therapy specialization that much, but I'm mm-hmm. sure it's good money to travel around and fix the brains of professional sports stars. And a lot of them need fixing. A lot of us in general, I want to say like, I like this, this season kind of tries to normalize therapy. Yeah. In a way that made me be like, fuck, I really should consider some therapy. And I've known that for years, but it's also the American healthcare system. Um, And just as a whole kind of liked the way that they approached it, where like, we don't see their sessions. We Except for the important ones with Ted we don't that are needed sessions. to drive the it forward. They're very honest about the fact that therapy will piss you off and they don't shame people for not liking therapy, for being mm-hmm. resistant to it. Because that's a huge part for Ted here of Ted. To, we find out that Ted does not trust therapists, but we also find out his reason. And it kind of makes sense. Uh, his him and his wife had seen a couples counselor before, which they talked about. And he had even mentioned Mm -hmm. finding parts of it useful, but because it was a therapist that she had been seeing for a while, he felt ganged up, ganged up on, which I can see from when I very briefly went to like group counseling with my dad when I was a kid and being Mm -hmm. like, okay, you two have clearly talked about what you're talking about before I was involved. And this is just right. This is rude. (laughs) Uh, Well, the other highlight of episode one is Roy Kent, primary school coach. Yes. Roy Kent in retirement. Because we talked about in our season one episode that Roy Kent needs to join the coaching staff. Yeah. And they start with 
kind of doing that because he hasn't joined the coaching staff. He's just coaching his niece Phoebe's school soccer team. But even though it's a little like six, seven year old girls, he's still Roy Kenting it. And he drops the fuck word a lot. <laughs> um, I did notice, I was hoping that they were going to make this weirdly recurring throughout the season, and they didn't, but I noticed that they made it recurring through this episode, and so I had to write it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amount of pounds that he mentions he owes... Um, Phoebe? Phoebe. Or that she mentions that he's up to for that month. Every time he swears he's supposed to owe her a, uh, a pound, I think? Mm-hmm. Uh, 1,236 pounds. Mm-hmm. Later on in the episode, when, oh, I can't remember what they were doing, what Dr. Fieldstone asks about, but when she asks Nate what their record for what they were doing was. Oh, they were like batting a piece of paper back and forth or something like 1, that. 1,236. Oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, that's good. That's clever. <laughs> this does bring up something I think this season does really well of they noticed where people connected really strongly and brought that stuff back without overdoing it. Phoebe shows up a lot more this season than she did the previous season. But I thought that Phoebe was well used. Like, I, I really continue to enjoy Roy's ability to interact with children honestly and, like, He'll insult them, or not mm-hmm. insult them, he'll swear at them, but he doesn't insult them and he treats them like people. Is very refreshing because so often we see kids used as props. I agree that she was probably at least partially brought back because of what people responded to from the first season. I think it actually fits more into the themes of the season. Mm-hmm. Something I don't remember exactly what we all said about season one. I remember a couple of the things. I Probably remember should have listened to that episode before this. But I remember I one of not. the things we sort of like came to the conclusion that like a big theme for season one was learning how to deal with things when they don't quite go the way that you were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily when you fail, but when life throws these curveballs at you. Um, season two is a lot more complex. Season two, in a lot of ways, is about addressing and dealing with trauma and keeping it from keeping you from going forward. Um, but, I think, I think for, I mean, that's a big part. Yeah. It's not the only thing, but like, I think one of, I think there's multiple themes going, one of which is a continuation of something we didn't talk about in season one. Mm-hmm. And that I think is where Phoebe fits in. Um, I do want to say one of the little minor sub themes I think is spelled out very clearly in episode three uh, with, um, sassy Smurf's daughter. Um, uh, Nora. Nora. Uh, Nora. How do I know that, but not most of my coworkers' names. Nora tells uh, Bex at a point. Sometimes you have to do the right thing, even if you lose, which mm-hmm. I think comes back around a number of times throughout this season. Oh yeah. As as a minor theme, I think the thing that is hit more on the head this season and ties back into the first season is that this show is a show about fathers and their impact. In a lot of ways. From a lot of different angles. From having a father or not having a father. To not having, having a, a father, shitty father. Yeah, is very, very important. And to w- how it can improve to have somebody um, sincerely step into that position in your life. Mm-hmm. And gets brought up a number of times this season in... The first season is a lot about Ted 
kind of becoming a surrogate father to the team Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. But this season starts to break down into a lot more of the individual relationships. You have Ted struggling to be a a distance father and what that's sort of doing to him emotionally. It's kind of weirdly put in a little bit even in the, the Christmas episode where he's like, I did this and because of that, now I don't actually have a day with my son. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he got him the big present. You have Sam's father um, and his influence on his son being a big part of the reason why Sam starts to do the things he does. You have a big moment with Jamie and his father. You have Rebecca and her father and her father's funeral. What's remarkable is we never see her father and it's still such a like big moment, a couple of big moments where he looms large in the series. And then with Roy, you have him stepping, learning how his surrogate father role can be passed on. Mm -hmm. And early in the series, he doesn't realize it as much. And that's kind of set up in this episode when he's cussing around her 1,400 times a fucking month. (laughs) Which I don't even have anything necessarily against cursing, but 1,400 times around your surrogate daughter in a month. In the second grade. (laughs) When you're telling her, yeah. And, like, you're paying her for each one of those. So, like, you're kind of trying to stop. wild money in this series. I just keep thinking. Um, the, I think and the that, other- that gets capped off later on in, like, episode eight when he actually has a speech when he realizes his role. And he tells her, I'm worried about what I might be passing down to you. I, and I'm worried about I'm infecting you with the worst parts of myself. I also think it's important to think about throughout the season how important relationships are, but how much upkeep is required to keep that relationship going. Even if you're not doing anything directly bad. And then, of course, what uh, Nate's relationship with his father does to his self-worth. Oh, God. Which we will get into that. And maybe the darkest thing I've seen on TV with him spitting in his own reflection. (sighs) Nate gets some great story stuff here. And uh, also watching Nate try and figure out. And we see the very beginnings of it in this first episode, which is getting way more time than I was expecting us to put into it. But that's okay. Where he's being a dick to Will, the new kit man, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the place where he was bullied all the time. And an ongoing thing with Nate is... He has heard fake it till you make it with confidence, but his version of that is just bullying people in the way he was bullied. Yeah. But not realizing he's necessarily doing it. And it makes Nate episodes very hard to watch. And that's not to say that fathers are the be all end all. I'm just saying that that's one of the themes of Mm -hmm. this show, especially like I think this season really Really puts that in the forefront and like healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says it in his one of in the one therapy session we actually really see with um, he's like, I promised myself right then that I would never let someone go through life without realizing they might have their own things going on, Mm -hmm. their own troubles. One, he kind of misses a couple of those this season. So he says that, but he doesn't always succeed. But that idea, everyone's got their own traumas. And everyone's got to deal with that. Oh, I mean, even when when um, the rom communism, when Ted sits down with Roy and the guy at the restaurant's like, "Oh, so you, he's your father?" Then it's like, "No, nah, it's just his coach." It's like, "Oh, so same thing." Mm-hmm. And then we find out that guy's got a whole story going on that could be a show. Mm-hmm. We never see that guy again. 
Although, okay, this is a few scenes, but uh, that guy mentions this like guy selling kebabs that he quit medical school the week before graduation to open a kebab shop. You could have waited a week. <laughs> right. You, you know, it's I, a, I get it. You don't want to be a doctor. It. I do not argue you on that one. You could have waited a fucking week. Just get that, get that degree. Get that diploma, and son. Part of it is American university costs. I understand it's less of a thing for them, but like, I imagine medical school is still a lot of friggin' work. If it had been like a year before, sure. You could have waited a week. You could have waited. Um, episode two? Episode two. Lavender. Um, oh, yeah. We didn't talk about the fact that Jamie was on that reality show, but he gets voted out at the yeah, beginning of Lavender. The, the final so. scene, we find out that Jamie has been on like... Uh, the bachelor style reality show or survivor or whatever, you know, horny, trashy celebrity. And you're like, Oh hell, that's an interesting way to start up the season. And then the very next scene, the very first episode, they kick him off of that show. And we find out that Jamie's, we had known Jamie had backslid mm -hmm. from where he was starting to grow to last season. And he sh still showed signs of growth. He made the extra pass. It was a huge moment. Yada, yada but he was still being a dick. And here's the spot, which we all knew was going to happen where Jamie's being a dick starts to wreck his life. He leaves to join a reality show. He gets kicked off of the reality show. He's not let back on his old team because he left them. What? Mid season. Something like that. I can't remember for certain, but he left yeah. them in the lurch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And this is the one where he ends up coming back to, to try to ask if he can be, it's, and we get a whole long conversation about dads. My father was a lot harder on himself than he was on God, me. God, that line. In retrospect is rough. Real heavy. There's some foreshadowing here. If you haven't realized by now that, uh, spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. Ooh, especially in retrospect, that line is rough. Yeah. The second, I've watched this, I think, three times now. That second watch through, I was like, oh, God. Oh, my feels. Roy gets a very raunchy storyline, kind of. Uh, Roy walks in on Keely masturbating, and he's like, hell yeah. And then he finds out that she has been masturbating to his retirement speech where he is crying on live TV. I'm going to say it. She was right that he needs to, like, do stuff still. I super understand Roy's response. Yeah. Like, what? The fuck? <laughs> I do like how much we get to see their relationship is very heartwarming this entire season. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, agree. it's not perfect, but like, it's so any time that I was getting stressed from other parts of the shows, they'd switch to these two and I'd be like, okay, which I didn't expect <laughs> from a Roy fucking Kent. That's true. The, oh my God. This episode is one of my favorite jokes when fucking at the, just to back it up to the beginning when Jamie's fucking doing the interview, the post interview, he's like, yeah, well, you know, I've been thinking about things differently since I learned George Harrison died. <laughs> and they're like 20 years ago. He's like, yeah, but I just now learned. <laughs> he delivered that line. His ability to play a himbo. Like he actually has to be pretty intelligent to play a himbo that well. I feel like, I don't know. I've never listened to Phil Dunster talk, but this was, I mean, this one I felt was weird that Ted, the way Ted went about things in this one, I guess. 
Because this is the one where, like, there's the rumors. Like, he meets with Jamie because Jamie wants to come back. Mm -hmm. Then the rumors make it back to the team, and the team's not happy about it because Jamie's fucking twat. And Sam Obasanya stands up for himself in a way that we've never seen him do before and really sets up a lot of what's going to come up for Sam in these later episodes. And that's what... Ted uses to decide that he needs to bring Jamie back. I mean, he breaks it down. He explains his reasoning. I still just don't, I don't like it. I like that Jamie manages to grow as a person because of it over the course of the season. You know where it fucked up? I can tell you the exact moment that makes this wrong. Hmm. Ted needed to fucking tell Sam in advance yes. that he had changed his mind. It was bringing Jamie back. He needed, he was wrong to not do that because they have this great moment of these two, like, <clears throat> getting along, having the father-son thing you're talking about. Sam really looks up to him as, like, dad too. Mm -hmm. And he promises that he is not bringing Jamie back because Jamie was so, especially to Sam, so shitty. And then he brings him back anyways. And if he had just been like, Sam, I know you're not going to be happy about it. I've changed my mind. We need him. We have this chance. I think he honestly wants to do we it. We have a chance on a lot of levels, like a chance for him, a chance for the club. Yeah, he doesn't have to. to he doesn't have to explain that like, all. He doesn't have to explain that all to Sam, but it truly is a chance on a lot of levels. He needs but. to explain enough, mm -hmm. and he never does. And the look Sam gives him, oh man, I Cece still gets mad at it. She wants him, Sam, to yell at him about it in season three, and I'm like, well, it's too late now. But yeah, he really needed to be called out directly for that, and he never was. Uh, but the lavender of the title goes back to the Dark Knight. Uh, Will changed, what, the soap or something like that? He changed or something. He, he adds a little bit of lavender oil so that it, everything smells nice and fresh and clean. And Nate loses his fucking mind over it. Oh, and we also get Dr. Sharon is starting to do more... do more meetings and helping out people. She started to talk to Ted about... Hey, you should mm, mm -hmm. you should maybe come in for a session. They learn how to deal with each other. This might actually be a point to bring this up. A critique I read of this season, as good as the actress who plays Sharon Fieldstone is, and she's great. Mm -hmm. The actress, the character, everything. It is apparently becoming a trope of the black therapist coming in and fixing the white characters. Mm. And in a kind of like Bagger Vance, like the old wise black man is like... Oh, the old magical Negro trope. Yes. This just kind of turned into the black therapist trope. Mm, I can see that. And I don't want this to be like a condemnation of the character or the season. Luckily, Sharon does get moments of her own advancement that really helped the series and help her character. But I just, I figured it was honest to mention that. A lot of the Nate stuff doesn't really pay off till later. This was just another, like, look into the fact that shit is brewing. Right? As I said, like, you see the moments under the crack, like, where the cracks are starting to show. Nate doesn't know how to handle being in charge. And his answer, because the only person who's ever, the only people who have not been dicks to him while they're in charge is Ted and Beard, who are so hands-off about everything. They're like, no, nah, you got this, you're fine. Let's see. Three is do the rightest thing. This is the one with Nora. This is the one with Nora. This is, yeah, yeah. Sassy shows, well, 
Sassy's in it for a tiny bit. It's more about Nora following Bex around, being a girl boss. Um, what else do we have on like Not the... Bex, Rebecca. Bex is the... <laughs> you yeah. You know what I'm... I'm just yes, not going to say Rebecca the entire time. No, Bex is in the season, what, an episode? Like, yes, and she's terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's the worst kind of mom. While still being a pretty good mom by the look of it. So I'm going to probably just continue to say Bex okay, because I'm she's only in a, an I episode. I do like the Ted Lasso clearly goes in with a joke of like, your daughter, is she mine? There's no way Ted is dumb enough to fall for that. But it's a level of like saucy that we don't usually see from Ted. And then he it immediately backfires on him because they just go straight into. Well, because Sassy's willing to keep going. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, that was kind of cute, buddy. Okay, let's. uh by the way, don't you remember where you up? Oh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> let's do detail. Like, let's imply details that I am not going to explain on my podcast, even if we are more adult themed. Than... Oh, and this is the beginning of banter. Uh, the dating site the, yes. that Keeley is running. No, there's no pictures. It's all it's all banter. It's all talk. And it's spelled B-A-N-T-R, which annoys Colin. me. <laughs> and Colin points out it's like Grinder. Um, and Led Tasso. Led Tasso is one of the single best jokes in this series. I cannot watch the scene anymore. Like, I watched it the first time and it was so uncomfortable. The idea of Led Tasso is shitty Ted Lasso. He is the bad guy instead of the, the hero. And the setup to the joke is amazing. The concept of the joke is amazing. And, like, the aftermath is funny. But actually watching Ted be the stereotypical, cruel American coach makes me so uncomfortable. I just think it's funny because he's even bad at it. Oh, yeah. He cannot be... Touch each other's toes. <laughs> you want to marry the grass or whatever? Like he's... You want to pick up this ball? You want to do weird... You want to marry this ball? That's what it is, marry this ball. He is just... Ted can't be bad. But he can try. <laughs> but he tries so hard. Um, back to the, like, the m mature emotional side of this series. One of my favorite bits is when Jamie tries to come in complaining to shit about Keely, and she just, it's like, come, follow me, follow me. Here's a therapist. Here's a therapist. She gets paid to do this emotional labor. I don't. That's so good to see, especially with, like, the ex-girlfriend character, because so often in sitcoms, which this is at the end of the day, the show is a sitcom. Uh, when two characters date and then break up but stay friends, it becomes the girl doing the emotional labor for the man so he can grow up enough to get a different relationship elsewhere that works. So having Keeley just well, not be down to do that. Not down to do it, but also recognizing that, like, he needs to get this shit out. Just not to me. And here's here's a resource. Also, I love that he's offered therapy and he's, what, do I just talk about myself? Do I just sit here and blabber on about myself? Nice. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, because he grows. From this point on, he grows. But he's never not Jamie. He's still a weird, egotistical dick. He's just... A nice one. So fitting in with Rebecca and Nora's day is this is Sam in Dubai Air. Sam finds out 
Like, I thought Led Tasso was going to be, like, the big standout of this episode, and then it turns out Sam is the fucking man and willing to do it all. Completely blows Ted Lasso, Led Tasso out of the water. Um, Sam is, you know, a rising star. He gets uh, hired to be in a, a set of, like, ads for Dubai Air, who's the main sponsor. Dubai Air has been on their shirts since season, like, One. since their yeah. first appearance. And then he finds out that they're connected to an oil company in Nigeria who has just been destroying Nigeria because oil companies. Fucking oil companies. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't realize who the parent company is at first. He's just like, fuck yeah, Dubai Air, it's an airline. He's talking to his dad like, shit, I'll get your tickets, fly out. Like, Look at this, people are... Uh, and his dad's like just me. like... People are coming for mm-hmm. me. And his dad's just like, yo. This you, is not okay. Oh, God. And he has to, like, especially in the in wake of taking a knee in American football and the weird fervor that that kicked up, which Mm -hmm. taking a knee is about the most respectful protest you could possibly do. Thank you. Yes. Um, (laughs) Look at me. I know. I know. I I know. Just it's not said out loud enough. Like, it's not just a protest. It was specifically done to be a respectful form of protest. Uh, How dare you? Yeah. Watching what they do here. I mean, it's still a respectful protest. They still play. They're still going for the fans. They just tape over the Dubai air. Mm -hmm. I love, I love when people are joining in with Sam, Mm -hmm. you got Sam, Isaac joins in next. I think this is, that might be the best scene of this episode. I think Bumber catch and then Jamie. Huge moment because even with trying to do better, everything about Jamie has still been about Jamie down to wanting to talk to himself. This is the place where he, it's the first time we've ever really seen him actively not think about himself. The closest we've ever gotten before is when he makes the extra pass last season. This is making his mom proud. And let's be honest, like, even though, even though we know that Ted and beard, don't really approve of Schadenfreude. Beard breaks out in a giant smile when fucking Sam lays Jamie out in that first practice. Yeah, it is. Everyone other than Ted enjoys watching Jamie because he shows up. He's back. He thinks he's going to, you know, go back to being number one hot shit. And the rest of the team without him there have figured their shit out and he gets wrecked. Also, Sam telling Jamie, don't bring that weak shit in here. Like, oh, fuck. That was Sam. awesome. Uh, Rebecca and Nora. We uh, knew that Rebecca had been really close to Nora, but then hadn't seen her in six years. So she went from... Nora's awesome. <laughs> Nora is what I would want my daughter to be. I love Nora kind of calling her out on her. Like, mm-hmm. the fuck did you do? Like, I loved you. I did love you. You... Left, but in a way of like acknowledging that she is trying, acknowledging mm-hmm. Nora's old enough to realize, and I'm sure, especially being Sassy's daughter, that there's been conversations about like she got trapped in some abusive shit, especially mm-hmm. with Sassy also going through a divorce around that same time. Yeah, same ish, at least. Yeah, yeah. Close enough to count, mm-hmm. you know people are hurt. So she's willing to let her grow, but she's also definitely like, I'm not six anymore. 
Although I will say when they're like, oh man, I, I shouldn't have taken you to this like cookie and tea house because it's for little kids. We should go. You take all of those delicious looking macaroons with yes. you. Yes, 100%. Jesus, I would have been like, you're right. This was not the right place. We're still going to eat all of these goddamn cookies. Then we can go. <laughs> and it's Roy that like knocks it into, into Rebecca, how she needs to actually approach it. Roy understands children. As I said, Roy treats children like people. And he has to learn that he's there. They're a different kind of person. Yes. There's still limits. You have to be careful what you do around them because they mimic you much stronger than you're crediting them for. But like, they are people. They're not things. And in some ways, she was kind of trying to treat her like a thing, a little mm-hmm. a little person trapped in glass. Well, she not. Yeah. She's a boss-ass bitch, <laughs> to use Nora's phrases. Um, that was all a lot of fun. That brings us to Christmas, yeah? Yeah, Carol of the Bells. Uh, I watched that one again. I might watch it on Christmas Day. I'm, I'm probably going to watch it. I'm probably not going to watch it on Christmas Day, but I'm going to. Maybe Christmas Maybe Eve. watch it when I get home from Christmas with my family. Oh, yeah, right around that. People hated this one, and maybe it's because it was in July. And some people, I just don't think like Christmas. Well, I know some people just don't like Christmas. As someone who enjoys Christmas from a non-religious aspect, yeah, I'm real into it. I love just watching these people get to enjoy themselves for the most part. You have one... Not truly a setup, but something that you don't realize is going to come back in such a big way later. Um, the picture from Nate. Mm-hmm. Nate gives Ted a picture of him and him in Ted's arms. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, God damn it, Jamie. God bless me, everyone. He's still Jamie. That's what I'm saying. Like he's learning so not good. to just think about himself, but like, could you guys help me out? I didn't bring something for the sacred sand. <laughs> They're like, what? Why didn't you? He's like, it was a secret. I didn't want to spoil the surprise. God damn it. Everyone but Jamie, or no, everyone but Bumbercatch gave out booze for the Secret Santa. Oh, Colin loved his scarf so much. Yeah. No, when you're as rich as they are, like, getting booze is nice, but <laughs> he can buy booze. This is just an interesting, this was the first one of the ones that we mentioned. They have two extra episodes where we get to kind of explore the concept of a Christmas episode more than like anything that important about the characters. We get nice little character moments, but growth isn't necessarily as important. Right. I yeah, wanted no, to so- see beard at the pagan. Oh yeah. Cause that's Stonehenge the- ceremony. <laughs> that's the story we don't get. We get everyone else basically, mm-hmm. but he mentions he's going with his ex-girlfriend because him and Jane are on Jane Payne are on and off all season long. And she's the chess girl from the previous season. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. The, I mean, the Roy Phoebe Keeley storyline is so, so good. The three basic storylines, Roy and Keeley end up, they were planning to have sexy Christmas and they end up with Phoebe with them instead. But in something I really respect, Keeley accepts Phoebe in a way that like, I think a lot of sitcoms wouldn't. They would have the like, I didn't plan to be a mother, but Keely's just like, yeah, I get Roy, I get uh, Phoebe. Like, That's part of it. Why would I, why would I interfere with that? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Phoebe has bad breath, and they are trying to find a dentist on Christmas Day. I think you might be dying. <laughs> and it does have the best moment of physical comedy, I think, this entire season of just Roy smelling Phoebe's breath. In the background is like there's this whole thing going on and he's just ruining the whole time. This is where the only episode where we get the Ussy guy who comes back for a single episode. Oh, that's right. I'm really glad that he only came back for the one moment. He is. It was funny to see him multiple times, but like. I like him. There's, I don't see much more you can do with him in a way that wouldn't just kind of annoy me. Oh, no, I agree with that. But <laughs> I like the Ussy kid. It was funny. I mean, it's just, it's a fun Christmas episode. Yeah. Like, I, it's extremely sweet how much of the team shows up at the Higginses. That's my favorite part overall. I just really love, pardon me, I just really love Leslie. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see that. His kids are super adorable. Danny and Zorro playing Nerf with the kids. That was great. Uh, I I loved how, like, Danny came in with his, his bowl and he's, Telling Higgins' wife, like, oh, you add some tequila if you want to be cheeky about it. And she smells it. I already got tequila in it. And then at the end, at the dinner, they're clinking some tequila together. I'm like, Uh yeah, they're getting fucking trashed. They are really getting... She is... I mean, she's a Brit. She can drink. But, like, trying to keep up with Danny Rojas with tequila sounds like a dangerous prospect to me. Um, and then Ted is alone on Christmas. It was supposed to have the the night or the day with his son, but surprising no one. A because the son's what like eight, yeah, something like that. At the oldest, cannot keep his attention on Christmas Day, and ditches almost immediately. Not like in a mean way, not uh, abandoning him, but just it's Christmas. He wants to go play, and now Ted is alone. And luckily, Rebecca comes and saves him, and I have had Last Christmas by Wham! stuck in my head ever since (laughs) this episode. But we get the first moments of when Ted goes dark. When he goes dark, it's very different than Dark Knight. It is depression, Ted. Oh, yeah. And we only get it for a moment because uh, uh, Rebecca shows up. But, like, we see him kind of, like, Leaned super into the couch watching It's a Wonderful Life, drinking what's clearly quite a bit of that bottle of whiskey by that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as he even points out, they don't let it go that way and it ends up being a wonderful Christmas mm-hmm. and everybody ends up spending it together by the end. And it's so nice. I just Except I, for Roy, who still has not team joined back up with the team yet. Right, right. Which, I mean, I, that's also a, a little bit of this, his storyline that I also get, like just not being able to come back to it after you have to leave it in the capacity that yeah was uh, Roy has been figuring out that he can't be who he was anymore. And it kind of was like, well, I don't have anything to do with them anymore because they were my teammates and I'm not on the team. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the thing we haven't mentioned yet. Roy has become an announcer on TV. And it's amazing. And he swears a lot. It's fucking fantastic. Episode five. Rainbow. Rainbow, which is referencing the Rolling Stone song. She's my rainbow. Which is an amazing song, by the way. This episode came out within a week of within uh, the um, drummer of the Rolling Stones dying. That fucked me up. Um, This is Nate trying to get the table at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. This is Isaac falling off. This is where we get more Isaac 
Isaac is someone that's been a character this whole time, and we see this character that's been developed. This is the first time we actually spend, like, time on him instead of he's advancing in the back. And this is a, I mean, this is the rom-communism episode, which the last half of this episode is just one of my favorite rom-coms. When Harry Met Sally? No, I mean, it's just in, it has become. This is, okay, yeah, I agree with you. Oh, 100%. It's so good. It takes the entire rom-com formula. It compresses it into 15 minutes. It kind of lampshades it a little bit. You know exactly what they're doing, and they even quote some famous Mm rom-coms, and he brings it up at the beginning. But But they do all these pastiches without abandoning, like, the character growth that they're setting up in this. Like, I... This might be my favorite to watch episode of the season. I might agree with you on that one. It's in the top two or three. There Um, are some rough parts, like... Man, it was totally unintentional, but the whole coffee maker and Nate thing, that was super shitty. That was, yeah, there's a lot of microaggressions against Nate this season. Also, I think it's like Keurig coffee. It's like those, and I just fucking hate those machines, but. But it's still like. Everyone gets a coffee maker or everyone around them gets a coffee maker, but Nate, because Nate is a coaching staff and not a player. But it's a little bit worse than that because right in front of Nate she offers one to Zoro, who doesn't want it. So there's even a known extra one sitting there. Doesn't Zoro take it anyways? I thought I thought he left it. Or I thought Zoro takes it, but somebody else leaves one. Like, I thought it was especially shitty because somebody just leaves one. I like, think there's everyone takes one. it, but I could be wrong. That's If you're right, though, Jesus fucking Christ. As I said, there's a lot of... There's another microaggression here when Nate... They're like, we need a big dog. And Nate's like, I'll, t- I'll do it. And Ted laughs. He's yeah. Like, no, sorry. I didn't. I thought you were joking. We need a real big dog. And like, again, oh, Beard is so sweet in that scene. Like, he really tries to like Ted. see Nate. Like after that, because <laughs> right before that, like he's he was fucking uh, whinging about some some British expression that Nate had used. I can't remember what it was. Uh, um, I don't remember, but. And, you know, like he's going off like, I've accepted this. I've accepted this. I'm this not, not abide. Yeah. And then all of that happens. And at the end, he tries to sort of like make peace with Nate a little bit. He's like, I'll, I'll go with I'm this. I'm okay with Fanny. Yeah. Um, I remember that. I just don't remember. the. What th- yeah, you're right. And this is where, again, where we're continuing to see more and more. When I was saying about how important upkeep is in friendship, I'm actually mostly on Ted's side and the Ted-Nate thing that's starting to develop. Yes. Nate is way out of line on every single part. And like his anger is even misdirected. But Ted is not doing the upkeep, partly because Ted is falling apart himself and he needs to he, he needs to fix his own shit so he can start to fix other things. And Nate is kind of a casualty of that. Not only is Ted kind of falling apart himself, but because Beard's personal life is where he is, it is. He's also not on top of his game being sort of the foil to Ted that he normally is, mm-hmm. which I believe like scenes like this are kind of what comes back around on the emotional journey that Beard After Hours goes on, which we can talk about more in a few episodes. Mm-hmm. But the the pushback needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, everyone's got it because everything is so good on the surface. People are like not acknowledging the little things they need to fix this season and stuff gets fucked up because of it. Uh, we do get the great scenes of because really the second half of this episode or where it takes off 
we see how good Roy is at coaching. Yes. Even just taking McAdoo to play with like random people from around town and being like, no, shut up, have fun. You're that here line. to play soccer or yeah, you're here to play football. So go play. Yeah, it's a professional. You're a professional. You're getting paid all this money. You're having thousands of people watch you. But at the end of the day, you're playing a game. So, so also remember that it's a game. The game. Yes. Um, and I mean, I'm not a professional, but I've had to do this with Bellegarth stuff before. Of Like, we've got all these other things going on. We have these things we want to win. That's important. That matters. Yes. But first and foremost, we're playing. So play. And then we get... Roy realizes that he wants to coach, even though he's been fighting it for so long. And he leaves the live TV performance he's doing mid thing and runs as much as he can Mm -hmm. to go coach. I did have the thought, Cece pointed this out, actually. How fucking wild does it have to be for the people who are sitting in that studio still being like, I guess Roy's gone. Um, let's check in with that game. Roy's there now. <laughs> right. I was thinking about okay. that. One. <laughs> I was thinking about that when I was watching it this morning. Like how, like the biggest story from that game wouldn't be that Richmond won. No, it would be, <laughs> that Roy it would be that like thing. a sports commentator started a game on TV and ended as a coach for the winning team. Halfway would be, across London. That would be reported on for like a month straight. <laughs> like, what the fuck just happened? So this is this episode is the first time we get Nate spitting on his own fucking reflection. Oh, the next episode, yeah. And it's almost not a bad thing this first time it happens. It's Are you like, kidding? I was fucking, I was like, oh, fuck. I, I, okay, it's not as dark as the next time we see it. Let me put it that way. It is definitely like, oh boy. Uh, because it's Nate is trying to get the window seat at a mm-hmm. just random like, a taste of Athens. Yeah, just a random restaurant. It's it's fine. It's a nice restaurant, but it's not like it's the restaurant his father hates the least. <laughs> Here's the first time we see his father, and you know what? There's places where Nate is being kind of a jerk here, but like the coldness that his father sends towards him. Mostly unintentionally. I don't think he's like trying to be shitty to his son, but Mm -hmm. the damage he's put on his son by being disapproving of everything. Actually, you know what? I take that back because I just remembered. I think it's next episode. They talk about his father sat him and his like high school girlfriend down and said, I uh, think you can do better (laughs) to both. That is. And and she believed him. (laughs) That is fucked. Mm -hmm. That is like. Yeah, that's, that's bad dadding. It's a really good joke, though. Oh, it's funny. <laughs> but it turns out most jokes about, like, absent fathers and sitcoms cause horrific scarring, as we will see here. But Nate is trying to learn confidence. It feels, especially upon rewatch of this episode, when the making himself a big trick doesn't work the first time for him, it seems like he really quickly replays everything they told him and took the worst read of all of it. From oh, yeah. It. Oh, and yeah. then when it works, he continues with it for the rest of the season. Because he's like, oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Success. The problem is any... The problem Nate has from this moment on is that any success, the joy he gets from that is really fleeting. 
But the sting from any time something, any time there's a microaggression, any time something goes bad, stays and festers and all. So even though people are being really supportive of him this entire time, he's not getting that. That's not mm -hmm. staying and he's just keeping the self-loathing. I will say best joke of this episode is when Rebecca does the like go large thing and has her like whole hiss and everything. And one, the amount that she committed to that was incredible. Yes. And the then Keely, Keely. <laughs> fuck your invade. Amazing. Let's invade France. <laughs> and you could miss it. Cause it's a quiet line. There's almost no attention put on it and it is just perfectly delivered. So good. What's Ted up to in this one? This is, Oh, fuck. What episode are we talking about? Rainbow? I mean, he doesn't do much in this one. He's mostly background and actually working with the team, and his biggest problem is that Isaac isn't doing good. And so he's he rom-coms with Roy. Yes, okay. I'm so, For some reason, I thought we skipped to the next episode. That's all... No, right. I think That's we talked about the rom-com, but we focused more on the Roy part. But, like... Yeah, Ted, is, Ted, Ted is, is the other half of that. And Ted is doing such a good job at winning over, like, pushing mm -hmm. without being a too aggressive. It's the next episode that we get some real, real growth from Ted. Uh, or not even necessarily growth. We get the breaking point with Ted. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, that is the signal. That is starts out. We find out that, uh, Rebecca's mother has come to stay and she is being. Oh yeah. 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 Terrible. That's right. Um, not terrible. <laughs> just, just repeating patterns. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first, if I have like a big critique of the season, it's that the things with Rebecca's folks all happen in this season. Yeah. I'll if give that you makes that. sense, like that. rather than setting up this episode, maybe last season and then culminating it l much later on with her, not much later on, but like a season isn't that long. No, it's 12 episodes in this one. I will say that it does kind of track. I don't have this relationship with my mother, but in some of the, uh, some of the repeating patterns of like not not bringing up things that need to be brought up because they don't think it'll fix. So it just keeps repeating endlessly and like not part of my life until suddenly they're a huge part of my life and then they're not part of my life again for a little while. I have had that relationship. So that actually does kind of fit with this pattern mm -hmm. because you really do get the sense that Rebecca's mom is only a part of Rebecca's life every time she leaves her father. Right. And then she just disappears again. I do think Rebecca's mom is kind of an amazing firebrand. I mean, she's yeah. awful, but like her, she's got bluntness on level with Jan Moss. Agreed. It's amazing. <laughs> I think she's even better at the funeral. Oh yeah. But. Oh, she's, I like her much better in the funeral because we get actual like confrontation with her own failings there. But I think we needed to have this episode where we just see the pattern before we start to see it break in the funeral. Uh, we get Colin's mantra. I'm a strong, capable man. I'm not a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, we find out that the soccer, uh, the football fans from the pub watch every single thing they watch the same way they watch football <laughs> because they do the same thing about a Great British Bake Off. 
which I've started watching again, and Cece does in fact scream, poor little cakes, soggy <laughs> bottoms, at it a lot. That's amazing. It's pretty wonderful. I'm Poor little cakes, soggy bottoms. The reason I like the Roy and Keeley relationship so much is because Roy is so in love with Keeley mm-hmm. in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see from them otherwise. I'm like, I find that extremely relatable. <laughs> I, d- I didn't write down in my notes which episode it happens. Which episode is where Ted learns girl talk? Episode one. Did you notice that that was kind of bookended later? Where? So Ted learning girl talk at the very end, he's just like, wait, so sometimes it's just coming oh, in yeah. here and uh, listening the, the and not really doing anything. Yeah. Diamond dogs is just girl talk. <laughs> when Roy to- is like, wait, it's. We'll get to that. That's the final episode. But God, that was good. Oh, I love the Diamond Dogs. Um, I love that Ted references uh, Stephen Weeby versus Billy Mitchell. And we find out that Beard's mom is full-blown QAnon, which kind of explains a bit about Beard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, fucking. This is the one that ends with Ted having the panic attack yes. at the game, right? This whole... This whole episode is leading up to very specific things, you think. And then Ted has a panic attack and flees the game. And the whole shift of the episode is a dramatic shift from that point on. Uh, And it does end with Ted clearly still recovering from a panic attack in Dr. Sharon's office, wanting to set up an appointment. That's what I mean. He hits rock bottom. Mm -hmm. Or as close as Ted. I mean, he's still doing pretty well, but like... And then also important to the rest of the season, when Ted leaves, Nate steps in. And he kicks ass. I mean, he legitimately does really good here. And then starts ego scrolling after. Oh, man. I the, When we were watching it, I was just like, Nate, Nate put down Twitter. And the first time I was like, yeah, buddy, like, maybe don't get too stuck on that. This time I was like, no, Nate, step away from Twitter. He fucks up with Wonder Kid. I don't get his response to that one. Wonder Kid is because it's the it's because he can't let it go of any little embarrassment. But yeah, like, Wonder Kid is a really good nickname. Yeah, no, Wonder Kid is a great nickname, but it's the the embarrassment factor and, and the fact he that he can't admit because in his version of being strong is you don't make mistakes, so he can't mm-hmm. admit to mistakes. Because I think he's idolizing Ted a little bit there and not like. Ted well, doesn't make mistakes, so well, I can't make mistakes. He has all the weird amalgation going on. Mm-hmm. Ted doesn't make mistakes, so I can't make mistakes. But also, I can't make mistakes because... My dad I, will judge my, me for it. My, even my best has never been good enough for my father. Uh-huh. So I have to be perfect. And I have these issues with my dad, but also Ted is sort of my dad now, so I'm kind of transferring some of my issues with my dad onto Ted, even though Ted does not deserve them, Nathan. And somehow, in the midst of all this, I'm floored at the end of the episode because that's when you realize who Rebecca's been talking to on banter. Sam Obisanya. When the, oh my God, the show was doing so well to set it up to be Ted. Uh Uh-huh. You know, and I was thinking about this. I would not be unhappy if they end up with a Ted-Rebecca romance. Oh, no, set up, they would do so well, it would work. But I'm also not at all unhappy that they don't seem to be interested in going down that route. Yeah. Also, I really like her and Sam. I don't think they should be together for various ethical reasons. I think there's other ethical reasons at at play, but I really like them together. No, they're very cute. They're, (laughs) it's, 
next episode, but Sam is a smooth motherfucker, apparently. Jesus Christ. Yo, that haircut also is on point. And we get little bits. McAdoo has become kind of like Beard. Yeah. Where we just get moments of him, especially because we get a bit more Beard this season than we did last season. We have that someone who just appears and you're like, what is your life, my guy? (laughs) Well, even like the way, like we passed it, but the way McAdoo was like lording over the secret Santa. Uh Uh-huh. So good. I just, oh God. So good. Isaac's so fun, dude. I love Isaac. I really thought we were going to get more Zero this season. I thought we were going to get more Zero and I thought we were going to get more Colin. And we got Mm. bits of Colin and we got a little more Zero, but we didn't get, they kind of moved into the um, Sam position that Sam had last season. Yeah. 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 Which is fine. We can't have too much of each person because it will just get, there's just too, yeah, there's too many. Uh, that next episode is Headspace, the one with Clingy Roy. Clingy Roy and the Three Teds. Mm-hmm. Let's go with Roy first, because it's another thing that I had to learn the hard way of sometimes you just need to let your partner have space to be them, too. Especially if you are working together. And I mean, Cece and I work at the same store, but we've always been careful not to work in the same department. So we don't have that every moment of every day around each other. Mm -hmm. But like there is, it's because you love that person so much that you just want to be around them. But sometimes they need space to, to not be around the partner in the same way that you need that space. Everyone needs that space, but damn, it can hurt when you're just like, but I just, I just want to be around you. you. I know I love you, but also, Fuck off on out of here. I do love all the different ways that Roy does not care about people talking about him, though. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Roy? And I have to imagine, he's been... He's been a football player since he was a kid. He is used to the paparazzi. Mm -hmm. He has had to deal with that pretty much his entire life. So people gossiping about him, fucking whatever. I'm Roy fucking Kent. But when it turns out that it's real stuff that's when it kind of hurts oh i love that he just yells whistle instead of actually whistling and he'll do that throughout the rest of the season whistle 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 whistle. so good uh also anytime that he has a moment of realization his response is just yell fuck and storm off um the whistle thing reminded me of how fucking funny it was when nate had the indoor whistle so we built you an indoor whistle. You're just, you can't be trusted. Um, so good. This is a good episode. It's also the one that I ended up with like the least amount of notes on because it's pretty straightforward. It's I felt a prep episode in a lot of ways. It is. We have hit this point. Now we need to like reset a little bit so we can prepare them for the end of the season. And I feel like it's an episode where everyone is actually saying what they think, what they think. They might not be saying it to the right people at first, like Keely going to everyone else instead of going. Well, and it's. And even that, like, I don't blame, like, you no, get advice from your friends. Yeah. Uh, I just also get uh, she needed Roy's Dr. part Roy. about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's in between two perfect episodes in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of gets stuck. It's set up. Uh, the other thing is we get, it takes Ted three tries to successfully go to therapy 
The first one, he's just uncomfortable, he can't sit still, and he literally flees. The second one, he's pissed. And he's a di It's the meanest we have ever seen Ted. And we can see how that, it kind of shows how, if he wanted to, that good-natured charm. I mean, we talked about how bad he is at being bad in Led Tasso. Mm -hmm. He's pretty good at it here. His, that Midwestern charm and his ability to talk fast and, like, say clever things can be real nasty when he wants it to be. I don't think it's the first thing this episode opens with, but we do get kind of Nate bookends with opening with him and his father, and he's on he's on the front of the fucking sports section. Yeah, and, and his, his dad doesn't even acknowledge it, and then he tries to bring his dad's attention to it, and you get the and the the good his dad admittedly gives him good advice here. Of uh, they say being humble is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, which is true. But what he needed at that moment was to be like, look at my fucking kid. You've done it, buddy. Keep an eye on that ego, but like, good for you. He needs that. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be positive reinforcement. Yeah. It is one thing to be like, you got to keep a clear head, bud. It's another thing to never give praise. And it's one, you know, it's one thing never give praise. I keep saying it's one thing. I'm sorry. Uh, but like when yelling at the newspaper, it's another when you're doing it to your son. Mm hmm. Well, and, and like, that's the only thing he's ever hearing from his dad. Mm -hmm. And his, his mother. It's a great thing to hear unless it's the only, only thing. thing. Yeah. And it's his mother's giving him approval, but he needs he's got such high strung daddy issues that bleed into every other part of his life. And then you end the episode with Nate getting super pissed at Kitman. Will Kitman. <laughs> oh, first he's mean to Colin. Oh, that's oh yeah. This we is see the Dark Mate. Dark Nate right. really emerges this that's right. episode. And then the beard telling him that was weird and personal. <laughs> yeah. You need to knock this shit off, man. Like and Beard's kinda mean and sassy sometimes, but like there's there's a difference between that and bullying and he bullies Colin and then he gets called out on it and you're like, good, he's learning, but he's not because he just immediately targets somebody else that he might not get caught on. He mm -hmm. just bullies where other people can't see it. And then you even get that bit of hope because that his apology to Colin did sound sincere. It seemed very real. Yeah. And it probably was. Yeah. Nate is I not a bad person. Yeah, I don't think he's intentionally not doing that sincerely. It's just his actions going forward. He's just not learning the right lesson mm -hmm. here. Man City. This is a hell This is a hell of an episode. This is possibly my favorite episode of the season. At least like highest quality episode of the season. First watch through, I probably would have said the same thing. I don't think it is anymore for me, though it's it maybe ranks with some of the top emotional moments with both highs and lows. When it comes to character growth and stuff, beard after hours is probably more brilliant. This one is, we're getting there. Yeah, I know <laughs> this is really I love what we beard want, after hours. Uh, but like, God, the moments we get here, Ted is learning. Ted is going to therapy. It's kind of working. Well, yeah, but man city opens with one of the biggest fake outs with what the fuck happened to doc. 
Because Man City is the one where it starts with her getting in the fucking bike. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. For some reason, I thought that was. No, you're right. That's this one. And it starts with the accident. You're like, holy fucking shit. Did Did Doc just die? (laughs) While Ted's calling her. We haven't talked much about Fieldstone since her first episode, but she's been in the background of all of these. Mm -hmm. This is the one where we actually get to see a little bit about her because we get her outside of her professional setting for the first time. Well, and a little bit of what she's talking to her own therapist about. (laughs) She's very frustrated that Ted won't open up. And then it turns out that she will not open up. Sam's got a date. Sam's got a date. We find out that it's uh, him and Rebecca find out. And here's where Sam becomes the smooth from this point on. Sam is the smoothest motherfucker, which is wild when you look back at where he was. Season one. And all of the growth looks feels real. Mm-hmm. It's all, but, oh my God. And the team has a chance of winning some big cup final. I don't remember what the cup is, but it's. Uh, FA cup. It's a big deal. I mean, they went from eight straight ties to finally breaking that tie with a loss having really uneven, like, win-loss, win-loss, and when they lose, they lose big, to they're in the semifinals for the FA Cup. And, I mean, that's got Premier League people in it still. Right, right. So, yeah, since their championship league now, a championship league team has only won the FA Cup eight times, and the last time was 40 years ago. And they have... This is the closest they've been to winning a trophy, in the history of the team by the sound of it. Because remember, Richmond's never won a trophy. Right. Um, God, there's a lot that happens in this, this episode. This episode's so full. It's also, weren't most of the episodes in the first season, like, right about 30 minutes? Yeah, and most of them were about 45 in this one. Yeah, and this is one of the ones that's like 47. Oh, God, it's... Maybe just, not quite that long, but it's... Just chock full. Um, because you have, you get Isaac given... Sam the haircut, which is awesome. (laughs) Jan fucking interrupting, too, is hilarious. Not now. the fuck up, Jan Mas. We get the date and turning out that these two are super good together. Again, she's his boss. I don't have a problem with her being, she keeps being like, I'm a pedophile. No, he's he's in his 20s. Like, yeah, it's weird and I don't feel like it's going to last, but whatever. You two have fun. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no, but... The power structure at work makes it really fucked up. Uh, this is the one where uh, Roy gets called in because Phoebe's cussing too much. Jesus, you're right. Everything. This is like half of a season in a single episode. And so this is where they set up the Roy Keeley cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of it before. Because you meet the teacher. Roy and the teacher. And, uh, you know, I feel like everyone's got this. The person. Well, I guess, yeah, you met her earlier, but. The person that, and they had like friendly interactions. Mm -hmm. The person that in a different world, there could be some real chemistry there. Mm -hmm. I love Roy and Keeley together. And this, this is a spoiler section. We just said it sets it up. So this is going to jump ahead a little bit. Him and the teacher would be a super good pairing at the same time. If they go through with it, they're a good pairing. It's going to matter how they make the transition. I don't think they will. 
I don't think he's. I, I kind of hope it's just a, a fake out, <laughs> and like the next season it's just Roy and Keeley together and being like, "Oh yeah, it's, it was great." And like, I mean, they've got their stuff to figure out, but no. And I I get this because uh, God, this makes me sound like I'm like an unfaithful bastard or something. <laughs> but I have had a person that I've been, I've had friends in over the years when I've been in relationships that I've had people that I've been kind of flirty with, not even like mm-hmm. intentionally or not like I would ever cheat, but just being like. Huh, I'm flirting with this person. Or even, look, I, I feel mm-hmm. like it's a pretty universal thing. Maybe yeah. not 100% universal, but pretty fucking universal for most people to have that idea of like, you know what? If multiverse theory is correct, there's one where me and this person are together because yeah. of the way that we are right now. Because that's, you know, soulmate, whatever. There's mm-hmm. no one I would rather be with than Cece, but there's other people I've met that I was like, God, you and I would have actually been pretty good. Yeah. And that's kind of what's going on there. And I get for Roy that first, he's never had a really serious relationship before. Right. Keely's the first one that so he's had someone else that there's that kind of like, huh? Could Wait, this been. can, this could happen. I other don't times? know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but I think most important scene here, and it's the scene that could have turned everything around if Nate would just go to fucking therapy <laughs> and deal with some of his daddy issues. <laughs> Ted opens up about his panic attacks. Right. And we get that really beautiful moment between the Diamond Dogs and Roy, who is a Diamond Dog at this point, but is just not admitting it yet. Right. Uh, yeah, they all, uh, they all make little admittances. That was I've, pretty great. I had a panic attack. Oh God, I fucked up my job. I refuse to read the reports because this part of my job is boring and I won't do it. I was accidentally on tripping on shrooms for an entire game. Uh, and before that, <laughs> Nate's, oh, right. I have really clever ideas and then I save them until I can make it look like I'm just doing it spontaneously. Mm-hmm. My favorite part is that Leslie is straight up. That's a good move. That's a good call. Like, <laughs> legitimately impressed. Like, they have this really nice moment of coming together. And then the team just gets shit rocked. Like yeah. we've heard of this team doing badly and it sounds like this is the worst game they have ever played, which is bound to happen too. Oh, Jamie's father. We talked about how Nate's father is abusive, not necessarily purposely abusive. You can see how like, he probably just thinks he's being tough. Yeah. Tough love, not realizing the damage he's doing to his son. Jamie Tart Sr. Is a piece of shit. Is just being directly cruel because he can. And good God, watching him needle his son. One, why would you talk to anyone like that? Of like, you fucked this up. You were so bad. It's so funny how bad you were. Why would you talk to this? This isn't Jan Moss being... Blunt. Blunt. This is being cruel. I can't imagine talking to anyone like that, let alone your fucking kid. (sighs) And Jamie hauling off and punching his dad. One, huge growth moment for Jamie. Mm -hmm. Two, watching Beard throw him out the door. Like, watch the door. It's very satisfying. And then three, possibly the biggest Roy Kent growth moment that we've seen this entire series. Top five at the least. When Roy goes and hugs him. Well, I was about to say that's maybe like the the top emotional bit for me in the series so far. 
is is like I'm I was gonna say it, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't gonna cry saying it. Um, <laughs> but beyond, I I had brought up that bit with um with Roy earlier because um, this is the episode where because of Phoebe's cussing, he has that conversation with her where I'm worried I was infecting you with all the worst parts of me. And then he sees this happen between Jamie and his father. And it, he sees why Jamie was the way he was. And he's been, in, he was infected with all of the worst parts of his dad. Oh. <laughs> also credit to Phoebe for calling out and being like, no, I did this because he was a bully. Like I was doing, mm-hmm. I was taking the good lessons I learned from you. I just Phoebe's necess- like the best kid, by the yeah. way. <laughs> I just didn't necessarily do it right. Like I didn't handle it the right way, but I was doing the right thing. Like, like we didn't we didn't talk about the the cue cards much, but like remember, it was, you'll have to deal with them. I forgive you. Uh huh. But do better. And then it turns out that uh, a kid was what she called him an apathetic little shit fuck. <laughs> so good. Was he? Oh God, yes. Yeah, oh God, yes. Uh, she wants to be a, a, a veterinarian for wild, wild animals. animals. How she does that even help. work? Where it pays doesn't matter. <laughs> you just go work for the fucking zoo, Roy. Like this is really straightforward. Um, it does have the very cute moment, and we skipped over this. Of she convinces him to play Princess and the Dragon. And it turns out that Roy has to play the princess every time. Yep. And the closest he has to being mad about it is he's like, you better affix the wand this time. That was so good. It was so cute. Also, can we get ice cream? And he's like, no. And the next time you see them, they're eating ice cream. Mm-hmm. Like, she's got him wrapped around her little finger. But also vice versa. Those two adore each other. And then. It after... ends with beer. No, it doesn't. We, oh, we skipped right. over I skipped Ted. The most important part of the season. Because you find out why Ted never quits. Because his dad committed suicide. And our long period of silence matches the long period of when you watch that and you're like, it wasn't even a surprise, but still like, oh. Well, especially by that point, you've put together something happened, but you still don't know what. Mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised at all that it was it killed himself. And we knew his dad was dead. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's just heavy. It is. Ted doesn't show weakness much. He'll be wrong. He'll fail. And he'll accept that and roll with it in front of you. Watching him open up with that in the crowd. That is some of the best acting that Sudeikis has done this entire series. And it's very quiet stuff that he's doing there. And then Beard. And then Beard. And then Beard is like, nah, I'm, I gotta go. I gotta go work this out. Which takes us to probably the most intelligent, but definitely the, like, weirdest episode. Yeah, so I, um, Beard After Hours, episode nine. This seemed to be the one, when it came out, that caused the most divisiveness. See, people, there was very strong reaction about the Christmas one. But, yeah, this one, because people were like, what the fuck is this episode? It's out of nowhere. Once again, at this point in the season, not everyone had been clued into the fact that this was now a 12-episode season instead of 10. That there were two more episodes after this, not, like, the finale. Because if this was, in fact, the penultimate episode, it it would have been been, a bad episode. I mean, it's still been a good episode, but a really bad call to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we talked about this in the first... We wanted an episode about what Beard gets up to. And they delivered in ways that, like... 
you couldn't really expect. In a weird way, this is almost my favorite thing that Ted Lasso's done. I love this episode. It's up there. I kind of want to watch it again, and I just watched it on Friday. It's Monday. This sort of shit is right up my alley. I'd love, so... Well, you're getting a lot more of the references than I am. Well, no, not even because of the references. Like, the big references, it's a reference to After Hours. Mm-hmm. Which I but have not seen. So. I have not seen it either. Because it's not... It's it's a reference to After Hours, especially in the name. But, like, um, it's more just done in a lot more modern and filmic style. Mm-hmm. It's a very postmodern uh, storytelling rather than standard sitcom storytelling. And we normally don't get that in TV almost like at all. It feels almost no need for like set up for jokes and punchlines. It's funny at spots, but there's very few bits where it's like someone delivers a quick slick line. And you go, ha ha trying to think about how to go about this. Cause I have a lot of thoughts about this episode. Like I said, we probably could have done an ed- just an episode on this episode. Yeah. How, what does this one do for you? Cause you also really like it. And I'm, I'm curious. I just, how I, do you see this episode? Like, how does it fit in for you? I love how much it builds the character of beard. It really does. And in a way, you know, I kind of worried when we were going to get a, what does beard get up to episode that it would almost go somehow kind of slapstick. Mm-hmm. But it catches like as bizarre as beard is his life is even more bizarre, but we still get the, um, the melancholy that is ever present in beard. That is really like, if you don't see it before this, it's all there. I don't know. It's, it's like a good side quest in a video game. Okay. This one, the first time I watched it, I knew I was going to have to watch it again. Cause mm-hmm. I knew I was like, Oh shit. I'm, I'm catching a little bit of something. What exactly are they doing here? Other than just giving me a beard story. Which, like you said, we we were wanting a beard story, mm-hmm. but I'm like, there's ooh, ooh. I watch I watch a movie every week for a different <laughs> podcast. I, I I'm catching some of what they're laying down. What's yeah. What's going on here? Well, this is why I wanted to talk to you about this one specifically because you are a much more like critical viewer of things. I'm like, I liked it, but so I I like this episode more every time I watch it because That's I can true. follow. A lot of it is done kind of intentionally vaguely, and part of what it's doing is trying to make the audience ask questions. Um, And because uh, you don't get given a lot of concrete answers, it means as part of the art that there's usually more than one take on exactly what's going on at any given time. Well, I do know there was a whole lot of debate about, like, was this scene even real? Did it even actually happen on certain bits of it. And that has been partially cleared up at least. Yeah. Most because, of it happened at least. Uh, if not, because I've it. seen at least one interview with Brendan hunt. Oh yeah. And Brendan hunt's very clear that in his mind, all of this actually happened except right. for the broadcasters, which are except pretty bro- obviously yes. not supposed to. I feel like the episode frames them as very obviously being, they're like, not actually turning and talking. Yeah, they're very obviously Beard's inner voices. Mm-hmm. I, I hope nobody's confused by their part in this. But Shut up, Terry Reed. I would say the only thing that's confusing is, are they actually there at the end sitting there at the bar? <laughs> Which would be actually a really funny joke if that was them. Like, yeah, the one time that they're actually... So this episode is... I love this episode because it is both a good story that 
I also feel like happens all the way through. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's like, oh, did that actually happen? Everything that happens in the story happens and is good and able to follow it through. But it's also a story where a lot of things are standing in for Beard's emotional journey, especially through this season, through this season, but especially as it relates to losing a big game against Man City. Mm -hmm. um, that's partially shown just by the fact that the blue moon chases them throughout this entire episode. Yeah, it's every every time you see the moon, and it's a lot. They make sure you see it pretty much in between every little like set piece that they do. And if it's not the moon, it's literally like clips from the game. He's just trying so hard to get away from this big loss. So they don't go into the soccer of it all very much, which mm -hmm. is part of the reason why this show has such broad appeal. If you pay attention to the background details... Beard doesn't have the same coaching style as Ted. No, not at all. Um, and it's part of the reason why they work, but also he's not been pushing back at Ted. But it's actually in very specific ways. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you can actually figure out their differences by going through the little details. Ted is the type of coach that likes to let players do what they want to do, do what they want to do. Beard is a lot more focused on what the game actually needs at the time. They lost the game because they took Ted's lead. What they needed to do, especially against a powerhouse like Man City, is actually do what Beard and Nate wanted to do in that situation, which is play defensively. Mm -hmm. But they don't have... Well, and when we saw the episode before, everyone was being uncertain, and Ted was just like, okay, we just got to roll with it, like, mm -hmm. which was the wrong call. Now, the thing is, throughout this season, Beard has been seeing the spiral that Nate's been going on, mm -hmm. but hasn't been, other than like the one time he talks up to him about Colin, hasn't really pushed back, pushed back on that because he, uh, because he sees what Nate's going through, but he agrees with Nate's coaching style. And he's worried about what that means about his relationship with Ted. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's missing some of what Ted is going through because he's kind of. So in the sense of the Beard's emotional journey from this season being shown in a microcosm through this episode, you start with it being set up May telling him that he was right at the bar and that he should have known is true. Him hanging out with the boys and, like, drinking and having a good time is essentially the same as when he's hanging out with the Diamond Dogs. It's, it's this thing that he loves, that he does cherish, that, that he kind of needs, but he has a very specific role in. Mm -hmm. When Ted is a man. Also, uh, before I get too much further, just because I feel like I'm going to be all the, over the place trying to... It. It's especially uh, apparent when they're at the bar because of how often we've been in that place throughout the course of the series. This entire episode is shot completely different than the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. It's much more close in. It's supposed to be a much more personal journey. We get angles that we have never gotten in just that like 30 seconds that they're drinking together at the bar. See, that's why I like talking about you, with you at this stuff because... 
I knew that it was different. I never would have connected like, oh, we've never seen that. I don't know much about lenses, but they're even using different lenses to frame them so that people are closer together. We're not getting wide shots of seeing what everything's going on. Like it's only about these people being together. When they go to the Bones and Honey, like those, it's still supposed to me, it's still supposed to be not about him hanging out with those guys. It's about him and his role with the team Mm -hmm. and kind of feeling like they all have imposter syndrome and that he has to lead them because he's been the only one paying enough attention to learn this fucking game. His boys are basically supposed to be Ted, Nate and Roy. Yeah. That I never thought of it that way, but that makes sense. Ted's got to learn football a little better than he has. But you get to the end of him being at the bones and honey And he's the one that gets thrown out. Well, even before that, even though he's the one that's been saving them and keeps them in there, it still ends up coming down to the fact that somebody else has to land that pool shot to sort of seal the deal, which is kind of Nate winning that game two two episodes earlier or an episode earlier or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. the previous game. Even though he set this up, somebody else has to make the brilliant shot. But now that causes him to start to doubt because he knows what Nate's been doing. I'm going to have to rewatch this episode for sure. Jesus Christ. In his doubt, when, when Beard isn't feeling good about himself and the thing that he has been turning to mostly uh, throughout this season and that has been distracting him whenever he gets his game mind off of the game has been the dame his his trying to follow the girl in the red dress kind of ends up leading to him following down a a dark bit of self-hatred for a second Mm -hmm. and getting kicked the fuck out (laughs) and tearing his trousers right his ass is showing oh god damn it god damn it so I feel like in his distraction, when he's having the conversation with with the lady in the red, and could they ever give her a name? I can't remember. Uh, yes, but I don't remember what it is. Her boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. So as much as everybody is a character and this all happens, her boyfriend is his self-anger. Also, not important to this, he's also the executioner in season two of Miracle Workers, which made it really funny for me. Once again, I think it ties into he's having that conversation with her, trying to realize where Jane fits into his life and his feelings about her kind of starts to realize that it's where it's not healthy for him. Mm -hmm. I do think Beard realizes that Jane is not healthy for him. He already recognized on some level. We didn't even talk about it. The episode where Leslie... Right, right. Challenges him on this, and he's like, I hear you, but I'm still going to be doing this thing. His, when he starts to go down that hole, the other thing that he's been worried about lately is he hasn't, his distraction from Jane hasn't been, has been leading to him not speaking up to Ted. Mm-hmm. Combined with the fact that he agrees with Nate, but he sees the road that Nate's been going down. Mm-hmm. That's all of the, his self-anger coming to a boil, and he has to get the fuck out of there. Well, and 
even when he agrees with, like, disagrees with Ted, he still very obviously, like, loves and cherishes and respects Ted. So finding that balance for him there of standing up to him without, like, hey, fuck you, you're fucking this up. But now that that self, that that self-anger and that that distraction from Jane has essentially separated him from his friends... He can't, without his friends, it is then in the next scene proven to him that he has a hard time doing all the things that otherwise make him good. Mm -hmm. He can't even ask a simple request of a hotel staff without being accused of trying to fucking steal his identity. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he needs needs those other people even if those other people are causing him problems. There is more to Beard's backstory that we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know his relationship with his father, and we know that his mother is now full-on QAnon. We also don't quite know why he says... I mean, obviously, this man, Ted, has earned some level of loyalty, which is part of why he has such trouble pushing back. But, like, we don't know what that story is. We don't know... So, when Beard is getting beat up by Jamie's dad, if this episode is mirroring his emotional journey from the Man City game, then in that scene, in a lot of ways, Beard is actually Jamie in that scene. Mm-hmm. And he, it's it's going with the feelings that he was feeling watching Jamie have to go through that with the problems that he's had and the self-doubt that he himself is having. But he comes to the realization that his self-anger is different and can be directed in a different way. When the muscle-bound boyfriend, who I'm saying is Beard's self-anger, shows up, you get the revelation that he was extra pissed because he himself has a past and that he's extra worried because he's becoming a father, which is Beard's role on the team as a coach. kind of a dad, yeah. And so he realizes that he can direct his self-anger in a more constructive way and where it's coming from is from his own anxieties about the way that he's leading the team and how he didn't serve them by not speaking up to Ted in that moment. So he makes a very specific change so that that night, this part of the night doesn't end up the same way the last part of the night does. In the last part of the night, when the bit with Jamie's father was over, he kicks out three supposed fans. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, when he decides to go home, by the way, when he runs back into his friends after getting beat up and like all that shit, he does the same thing that he did at the beginning of the night when he said that he was going to leave Ted, which is he goes home first. Or at least tries to, (laughs) yeah. But he changes what happens. Instead of kicking out three supposed fans, he sets up three supposed fans to be able to go onto the pitch. He sets up, he He changes the way that that night ended. He actively interferes in a way that will make things better, which he needs to do with Nate, Roy, and Ted. And then he leaves to head out in the way that he did at the beginning of the night. Now, after having had these realizations about the himself, he gets to actually have a moment of cathartic release. But it's not all fun and roses because he does know that Jane isn't good for him. The, the problem, his problem still exists, but he can have that release. Can I go back for a mm-hmm. second for another really stupid thing? Because I'm apparently going to be the shallow one in this interaction. 
when the big muscle-bound guy like whips out the tiny little razor scooter and goes <laughs> off is comedic perfection in yeah. sheer what the fuck just happened. I want to see more of that actor in things. In a lot of ways, the last like 10 minutes of him like going to the church and then going to the party and meeting Jane mm-hmm. is kind of what quote unquote actually happened that night. And everything leading up to that is, was just his uh, inner turmoil of what leads him to feeling like he still needs to have some sort of release to get back to being right. Even though the only release he has in that moment is someone that he kind of knows is still not great for him. Well, and it is interesting. We do see the places where she is kind of good for him Mm -hmm. because I think it's important to mention that like, because this show's so good at it with the exception of Rupert and uh, Jamie Tart senior, no person is just one thing. Well, and if toxic relationships were only toxic, it never would have gotten to the point of being a relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they see the bits where they can help, where he needs that out. Um, but because he's come, because of this journey that he's went on through the night, he still comes back around at the very end. His friends would have all fucking understood if he wanted to take that morning off. Yeah. But especially still, being beard. If he had been like, I need this, they'd be like, okay, obviously like, but he shows up with, with the donuts, <laughs> but with the, with the fucking pants, that's the thing. The pants is very much him having, uh, accepted both of these parts are going on for him right now. And he falls asleep cause he is still burning the candle at both ends. But I feel like it's a, not a happy ending, but a hopeful ending because we have, because he's gone through this self journey mm-hmm. this night. He's had a trial by fire in a way. And like, we didn't bring it up, but like has had to like three different times go through some really heavy, like physical abuse, not just physical, but like the, the fucking announcers are terrible to him. And mm-hmm. that's like his negative inner self talk. And, also, that moment where he opens up to God while he's praying in the mm-hmm. church. Also, it means we can't go through this. His dancing <coughs> is fucking great. Apparently, he actually really likes to dance. He you actually read the same interview that I did. He really likes to hula hoop and is uh, really bummed that he didn't get into better shape for that scene. Yeah, he said he was sick or something <laughs> yeah. like that, so he didn't get a dance as well as he does. But still, that the level of catharsis that he put into that dance to giving him that outlet, the level of they talked about how they wanted that rave to feel like a real, and I don't know what a rave fucking feels like. I'm an introvert from Missoula, but like that felt more like what raves are than you see in 90% of TV shows where someone's wearing a feather boa and a cowboy hat. Um, I think that's all I have on that episode, but (sighs) that's good. Yeah. I don't know. And that on, that's not necessarily the only read you can take from it. I would be super interested to see uh, other people's reads. But. I need to rewatch it and reconsider because I said I have a bad habit of watching things on a very surface level. Sometimes I will kind of ingest the message without consciously thinking about it necessarily. Yeah, I think, man, when when the moon kept chasing him through the night, I was like, oh, shit, they're doing something here. I have to sit down and like. And I caught some of it. I knew that like the episode or the the match was still chasing him. I hadn't put together that the three fans were. Essentially Nate, the Diamond Dogs. Yeah, the Diamond Dogs. Minus Leslie. 
Leslie's just kind of there to take care of people this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I got on beer. I fucking love beard after hours. It's so good. <laughs> One of the most interesting things Ted Lasso has ever done. Uh, no weddings and a funeral. I don't have a lot to say about this one. It's good. We get very important moments. Um, I honestly kind of didn't like the never going to give you up moment. I understand why. I thought the Rick Rolling was clever. And it was kind of fun to see her have these moments of. I think it's a good idea to try to turn a Rick Roll into an emotional moment. It didn't land for me. I get that. Uh, Jason Sudeikis is far and away the winner of this episode. Yes. Ted's therapy where he finally confronts the death of his father in all the different ways is the fucking brilliant editing of going back and forth of Rebecca and Ted's story. Yeah, that was, and they're just getting each other's line. Like it's, and to find out that that happened on the same day for both of them. Ugh. Ugh. Literally the same day. Part of the reason why I think these two would be such a good couple, but it's also so good. They're not a couple. Um, Really? And all the of all the things that happens, the most important thing is Ted opening up about this. And even though Rebecca gets some really great moments in this, I feel like it's overshined by everything Ted is doing. Mm-hmm. Although Roy gets some nice, like he's being a dick behind, but you find out the reason why. Dude, what the fuck, Jamie? Jamie fucks up here. Jamie admits he's still in love with Keely, and I get it. He's in an overcharged emotional situation, and he panics, kind of. And he sucks with that shit, but... Yeah, he doesn't know how to deal with it. Still, what the fuck, Jamie? (laughs) You don't get to... I will say it bothers me that he doesn't apologize to Keely. Mm. He'll apologize to Roy, but he doesn't Mm -hmm. apologize to Keely, and fucking... Should've. Yeah. Sweet, (sighs) sweet Danny is just... Anytime this episode is starting to get a little overwhelming, Danny being utterly miserable in dress shoes. Oh, my God. I love how none of them even knew where to get dress shoes in the beginning. I will say I liked that we saw Jamie taking care of Danny the whole time. And he was very, like, open and patient. Even though Jamie fucks up in this episode, we see real growth, even if it's in the, like, bizarre little C plot of this episode. Oh, the way Rebecca's mom handles fucking Rupert is so great. Also the bit where sassy talks about imagining his death. Also great. <laughs> I love sassy. Oh my God. And honestly, dude, Oh God. Why can't I think of that actor's name? Uh, 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 Anthony head, Anthony head. God damn it. He's so good. Every time we see him, in any role I've ever seen him in, he just effortlessly. He's so sly, even when he's like showing all the signs that he's doing right. I'm not going to. The first time I watched this episode, I missed at the end when he goes up to Nate and whispers in his ear. I definitely was like, I don't like that. Do not like those two talking. I think I must have like coughed or like got up to get some water or something just right at the wrong. Well, and it makes sense. He knows that Rupert like. He's not close with Rebecca in the same way. So he knows they divorced, but he still Rupert was like a powerful man. Mm-hmm. So that's a weakness for Nate. Midnight Train Royston. Jesus Christ. Talk about a finale. 
That, no, we still got another no, one after Jesus, that. Oh, Jesus, I keep mixing them. Uh, Midnight Train to Royston. Uh, Sam starts off with a hat trick, and the billionaire shows up. Wanting to get Sam. And that billionaire, honestly, like, his dream is good. And it's interesting to see this billionaire call out billionaires. But still, there's a lot of red flags as he's doing all the weird billionaire shit. Yeah. I bought this museum. <laughs> the fucking Banksy gag had me rolling. Gonna, do you think that's actually Banksy or do you think he just set that I fucking... I hope that's fucking Banksy. That would be hilarious. The idea that Banksy's like an awkward... Bumbling old, old dude. An <laughs> old British man. Yeah. I fuck when he said it was Banksy, I fucking rolled. Well, and there's those weird things of like, congrats, you just met a cool person. Like he's he's taking all of these things that other people have done. He's mimicking a play Leslie wrote. Mm-hmm. He's saying lines of Ted's. He's he's trying to be a good rich person like Rebecca. Like he's uh they do a good job of he's showing trying so hard to be a good person, but it is kind of creepy how he's doing it. Something is wrong. Making an entire restaurant and hiring a bunch of people to like come hang out. That's beyond creepy. Ooh, uh, goodbye, Doc. Mm, this is when yeah. Fieldstone leaves and Ted is not handling it well. No. And rightly so. I mean, it's got to be interesting working with people that closely because the lines are going to start to blur a little bit between you are my doctor and I'm your patient. And like, we are also colleagues and we are also friends. Yeah, it was one of those weird bits where I kind of felt like they were both in the right. Yeah, she was going to leave. She wrote out the stuff for him, but... She did knowing what she knows, and also for a coworker to just leave like that, that's fine. For a doctor to just abandon her patient like that without like their last little bits feels kind of messed up. And for a friend to just ditch, mm-hmm. not okay. And he probably should have at least read the note first, but but you also understand where he's angry and yada yada yada. Great bit of acting where he reads the note and is one over and they never show us the fucking note because mm-hmm. it would have been so hard to make that land no matter what. Oh, uh, um, Roy and Keely. Keely is, this is the photo she gets a vanity shoot. fair photo shoot. And we are reaching kind of for the first time. Well, before that, I guess Nate. Oh, well, uh, first off, what did you think of that first suit? Uh, I didn't like the blue shirt with it. It should have been like a black shirt or at least a darker blue. But honestly, and again, we've covered this. I like to wear every color at once if I can. I kind of liked the suit. I kind of liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was like a good kind of daring for the kind of places he would be wearing it. And if Nate can figure out how to be comfortable with himself... This is where the, that suit would work really well for him. Mm-hmm. But instead, he's just kind of mimicking Roy. And yeah, Keely goes for it, but Keely's also super into Roy. So she's going to kind of like subconsciously be like, Roy. If Keely had been single, I would have understood how Nate was misreading signals there. Right. But God damn, Nate, that's not. But it also kind of seals it in because that that leaves him in the black suit. Oh, 
Dark Knight. Ugh. And then we get to Roy and Keeley. For the first time, kind of in their relationship, Keeley's becoming more important than Roy on a national scale. And that's not a bad thing, but like before, she had been a kind of like B level celebrity and he was a football legend. And now he's an assistant coach and she's an up and coming business star. But unlike the way that that situation is normally played, he's not jealous. He's sad that it might change. No, he's what they super have proud going. of her. I love that. Yeah. It's so good that, I mean, he's, it'll come up next episode, but he's like, no, don't you dare change any of this. Everything you're doing is perfect. Do it. I'm so proud of you. Let's go have sex. Um, but he still is, has that fear of being left behind. Mm-hmm. So as the dynamic shifts, this is, this relationship is the best thing he's ever had. So as the dynamic shifts, he has that fear of like, am I going to lose this now? Is she going to outgrow me? Well, and he already had to refigure out who he was at the beginning of the season. So another dynamic change is scary. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and then Ted gets emailed from Trent Krim at the end of the episode. Nate has leaked to the press that Ted's been having panic attacks. And one, absolute fuck you, Nate. Like, you saw that he was opening up, that he's been working on shit. What the absolute fuck is wrong with you? Also, Trent, you can't do that, man. You can't give away your source. Right. Which, to be fair, then the next episode, you find out... Trent admits it and quits. Like, yes, I get it. But also, Trent... (laughs) Which brings us to our final episode. Inverting the Pyramid of Success. What are the best names of the uh, season, I feel like? Um, it's match day. Big match. It's the match. And once again, they just need a tie. It's such a tie-in to... <laughs> it's such a connection to the last episode, or last season. They've got Nate's... What is that? The False Nine? Yes. And here's the weird thing. Ted is constantly giving Nate credit for this. It's Nate's false nine. And it's not what Nate thinks of Ted trying to distance himself from this thing, but he's trying to give credit where credit is due. But since Nate has become so wrapped up in everything that he's got going on, he's just decided that this is Ted. Because he decided that Ted is stealing glory from the rest of them, this is Ted uh, dodging responsibility. Yeah. And then, man, the the heartbreaking thing. So the false nine's going, whatever. It's kind of not working the first half mm-hmm. to to keep with the Nate part of it all. Like, during halftime, they have, you get the actual Nate blow up on Ted. Ugh. And there's bits, there's bits of truth in his blow up mixed in with all of this. They haven't had a scene where those two interact directly alone since the fucking auction scene in halfway through season one. Right. Maybe a little after the closest, but the closest they've had is when like Ted yells at Nathan because he's going through his divorce shit and then immediately apologizes. Like that is that era of Ted Lasso is the last time these two have had scenes alone. Mm -hmm. So him calling out Ted being like, where the fuck have you been is true. 
Ted abandoning him completely and like not respecting him complete false. But some of the stuff you see where he's coming from, he's like, you don't even have my picture up, but we know Ted keeps that picture next to his picture of his son. I was about to say, that's the most heartbreaking bit because this episode opens with you seeing that that picture's Mm -hmm. next to his son's picture. And we saw it earlier in the season too. Like Mm -hmm. he has that in a, if you know family man, like as prime a place as you can put it. Mm -hmm. But because he doesn't see that because he hasn't been to Ted's house, he hasn't been seeing it at work. He just thinks that it's another place of, only focusing on the bad, not giving him credit for the good. Which, just to finish the Nate bit, ends with him working with Rupert by the end of the episode. And if that wasn't clear that that wasn't going to happen. but And closing the final scene, the final shot, is the exact same style of shot as the very first shot of the season. A close-up on Nate's face. But instead of like feeling kind of like hopeful, exciting, it's just uncomfortable. Also bums me out because I don't know shit about soccer, but I watch a lot of movies and because of a different movie, I kind of am like, if I have to choose a team, I'm kind of a fan of West Ham. And so the fact that like, they're the bad guys of this next season, (laughs) (laughs) uh, there's a bet going on at my house right now of what's going to happen. I think Nate's going to get a redemption. Oh yeah. yeah, Uh, Cause that's this show through and through. Exactly. That's my argument. Grizz, who's been on the show before and is my roommate, uh, thinks that he's not going to, that he's going to be a villain, that he's going to be a place that Ted is going to ex- have to accept that he doesn't necessarily always get closure. No, no, man, this is Star Wars. Rupert's the Emperor. Nate is Vader. I agree with you, but I'm telling you what this <laughs> bet is. I know. Cece thinks Nate's going to die. I am wondering if somebody's going to die. I don't know if necessarily Nate, but like just to have them all have to deal with that. Whoever wins, which is uh, why it was so believable that like the Fieldstone fake out earlier in the mm-hmm. season, whoever wins gets uh, free dinner and drinks from the other two. Mm, nice. At a taste of Athens. No, probably James Bar. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all the sad bit. Dark Nate is our reality going into the next season. The happy bit is Ted and the team are Ted and the team figuring it out again. Get promoted. Uh. <laughs> In one of the funniest scenes in the season, saw Sam dodges a bullet with that billionaire. Oh, yeah. The moment he turns that billionaire down and he turns out that he's the exact self-entitled Elon Musk bullshit. Oh, my God. Poop. Poop. (laughs) I will buy your childhood home and shit in every room. And you're like, the look, again, Obasanya's acting of just like, oh. I almost wonder if they just didn't tell him what that actor was going to do. And they were just like, just react. <laughs> oh, okay. Then <laughs> uh, we didn't mention net Nate tearing apart the believe sign, especially oh, right. after all of the, it's interesting because in, you know, at the end of season one, they lost, but everyone was together. Everything was connected how it's supposed to be in this one. They win. But the the fractures are there, you know. Rebecca and Sam still don't know what they have going on, and have kind of broken it off. Mm-hmm. Nate left. <laughs> Nate tore up the sign, told Ted "fuck yourself," and left. And even though that last little bit, we get jump forwards in time. Mm-hmm. They don't touch Keely and Roy. Nope. 
We're going to have to see what's happening. I will say, because Roy's like, hey, I showed up with this like super great six-week vacation we're going on. And she's like, I can't. Can't. And I can see how Roy's like, oh, fuck. Scared. Fear. Oh, God. But also, you don't buy your partner six-week tickets without, like, talking to them first. And if you don't talk to them first, you don't get to be unhappy when they, like, well... I can't, because you didn't check with me first. <laughs> so we could have found a way to fit, like, fit this. And now it's a uh, Trent Krim, independent. independent. I think Trent Krim, because I read a thing that confirmed both Trent and Sharon Fieldstone will be in the next season. Okay. Um, I don't know what's going to go on with Sharon. I hope she gets hired onto Nate's team. Oh, that'd be interesting. I would love that. Nate Nate starts getting therapy independent of the others and yeah. then goes and corrects stuff. I think Trent's going to get Keeley's old job. Oh, interesting. I could see that. Okay, that'd be cool. Like PR for the team and uh-huh. like um, whatever. Even if it's not like his permanent job, like while he's writing a novel or something, mm-hmm. they're, they're still going to need someone doing that job and Trent Grimm is now independent and he has shown a loyalty to Ted that is insane. Mm-hmm. That like led him to breaking one of the like most important rules of his profession and quitting his job as a result. I think Roy and Keeley will be engaged by the end of the season, but I'm not hundred percent sure what the road will be to get there. Are there any of the, uh, the more the slightly more background players do you want that you want to see be given either the Sam treatment or the Isaac treatment this next season? If anyone needs to get bumped up to the Sam treatment, it's Isaac Mm -hmm. and put Sam as like full cast member now instead of recurring. Uh, But again, it's so crowded that it becomes hard to like, how are you going to fit all that? God, I would love to see more Colin still. I would love more Bumbercatch. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I really like Bumbercatch, but... Uh, but he's great. Jan Moss. <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't... I like Jan Moss as little Jan as... Jan Moss is perfect where he yeah. is as this, like, weirdo who will occasionally call out what's going on and needs called out. Yeah, Colin probably, if anybody. Well, and he's kind of been set up to that he would be the easiest to put into that. Maybe a little more on Jamie. Jamie grew a lot this time, but he wasn't like the forefront of any point. Mm -hmm. Sam much more took the lead, which actually fits. I mentioned my critique of last season of like most of the leads were white. And then all of the black people in the show were like recurring characters, bumping Sam up to a lot more appearance and putting in Fieldstone. Definitely. I felt like made this show a lot less pale. (laughs) I don't know if I really have any like specific things I want to see of the next season. Trusting, I've decided they have said that because they had originally planned for this to be a three season show that they are setting this up to be that. And if they go on, they'll leave it. They can set it up so they can keep going afterwards, but they're going to finish telling the story they set out to tell. Cool. Which is down with that. Yeah. Because we have seen a lot of shows get ruined because they just decided to stick in a holding pattern waiting for the ending because it got popular. Mm-hmm. How I Met Your Mother comes to mind. We've said a lot about the show. I don't, I don't have anything I got to nothing. say about it. Let's do recommendations, and then I apologize to you for having to edit this episode. 
Recommendation. I can go first if you need a moment. Yeah, I'm going to. T- yeah, yeah, yeah. Go first. Uh, Nightwing by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. This ju- the hardcover just came out this week, I think. Um, it is the most recent Nightwing run. It is absolutely bonkers, ridiculous good. I do kind of feel like someone went up to Tom Taylor and went, hey, do you want to do the Matt Fraction Hawkeye, but with Nightwing, so with a more likable lead? Because it's down to, like, Nightwing owns the building that he's in, and uh, he adopts a dog. Of course. And the art is ridiculously brilliant in the way that it expresses movement and all the stuff that David Aha is amazing at. Mm -hmm. But it also is still very much its own thing, because Nightwing is not Clint Barton. And you see the the big overall running plot line of this is recently in the comics, there's been two big things. One, Nightwing forgot who he was. Mm-hmm. He got shot in the head and got amnesia because comic books and soap opera. And he's finally back to being Dick Grayson and not being edgy Rick, R-I-C. Hated. No one liked it. I don't even think the authors liked it. He's finally back being Dick Grayson, and it's showing why Dick Grayson is important. The other big thing that's happening is Alfred was killed. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've been seeing how Batman responds, but let's see how Nightwing responds. Because Nightwing is as much Alfred's son as as, uh, Bruce is. Mm -hmm. And it turns out Alfred leaves everything to Dick. And because Bruce has been giving him Wayne Corps shares... For years. Right. We find out that Alfred was a billionaire. Oh, shit. And just didn't tell anyone. He just kept being a butler because he wanted to, because he wanted to look up. And I do like, there's a moment where Superman talks about how much he looked up to Alfred. And they're like, what, really? You looked up to Alfred Pennyworth? And he's like, look what the man, look what has been done by the men that that man raised. Mm. Like the heroes that Alfred raised have saved the world. Of course, I looked up to Alfred. Look at him. And also that, like, in a lot of ways, Dick Grayson is that person, too. He's the one everyone trusts in the same way that everyone kind of trusts Alfred. But Dick Grayson is only richer than Batman. And what do you what do you do with that? Because he doesn't want to just become Batman. He doesn't just want to, like, find. So he decides that he's going to build a safety net for the city of Bloodhaven, okay. where he lives. He's going to aggressively tackle the homelessness problem. He's going to try to set up a, like... Uh, uh, basic living wage for every person in Bloodhaven. He's going to do all of the things that we should really be talking about doing. Mm-hmm. Is it going to work? Who knows? Because there's all the forces pushing against him. But like, I don't know. It's so much of Dick has always done good. Let's see him try to do good on a real scale. And then art that is, I'm going to give it the most brilliant art to come out in a book this year. 2021, best book of the year, Nightwing. Far and away. Man, when I was thinking about it, I I already mentioned it at the beginning of this episode because I finished reading it, but after we got done talking about Dune for two episodes, like... Dune Messiah? Yeah, if you haven't, (laughs) like, if you've went through Dune and have not gone through Dune Messiah, then, like, please do so, because... Even if you don't do Children and even if you don't do God Emperor, Dune sort of finishes up Paul's story. Yeah, yeah, Messiah finishes up Paul's story, it... Like I said, if you didn't understand some of the darker shit from you will Dune, this. they'd like lay it out explicitly and like how 
people have been being shitty and how most of them are not heroes. (laughs) But it's also like really badass. If you enjoy Game of Thrones, like the early stuff when they're still dealing with the politics and the really convoluted like plots between houses and all that fun stuff, Messiah does it at least as well. Absolutely. And you also get um, a Duncan Idaho with metal eyes. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be fun with Jason Momoa. Right? That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. And as I said before, Ali is just terrifying. Uh, Let's see. Next week, we will be, not next week, next time, we will be doing a bit of a fill-in episode. We've mentioned that we've got a big four-parter coming up, but uh, figuring out timing for that around the holidays has not been working. So we will be attempting to do uh, Grimjack again. Redo. Our lost episode. Fuck it. We're, we want to talk about Grimjack. Yeah. It was so it much is, fun when we talked about it the first time. And it's been long enough that we don't remember what we said. So we can just have that conversation again. Yes. And for you guys the first time. So for us, it, I mean, I'm I'm going to laugh so hard if we get into it and just start being like, oh, yeah, now I remember what I said. God damn it. Uh, and if it goes wrong, we will just never attempt Grimjack again because clearly it'll be cursed. Works for me. But in the meantime. This is General Nerdery. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed! Hi everybody, General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, email us generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, check out all of our back catalog or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.